does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You don't need Mick Jagger to tell you that this is one of the best sports towns in the world. How about that intro Amen. from Mr. Parker? Charlie Clifford here. Marlon Jackson's back. Marlon, what's going on? Charlie, what's going on, man? It's good to be back in the building with you. Looking forward to today and tomorrow. Let's go, um, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Marlon Jackson, the last time we were seated next to each other in the Drive Hubler studio, Chris Ballard was sitting at the podium walking through the most challenging year of his professional career. Four wins for a team that was picked to win the division that had aspirations. Let's be real. There were plenty of folks, and I was on the cusp of this conversation, that thought maybe Matt Ryan and the Colts could be playing this weekend, Marlon. Oh, yeah, that was that was uh, our early <laughs> thoughts. That was back in last last spring, I would say. <laughs> but how quickly those thoughts faded to the background and diminished ultimately once we saw the performance on the field, which has led us to what, where we are now in the current circumstance of a carousel of what? You know, guys being brought in to see who's going to be the Indianapolis Colts' next head coach. Jeff Saturday, it appears, got the first crack at a second interview. Marlon Jackson's thoughts on what his team is doing because plenty of you are driving around this afternoon, getting ready for your weekend, and it's going to be absolutely loaded beginning tonight with number one Purdue going to see Michigan. But, look, we are all a bit baffled about the, the turns this has taken over the past two weeks, and Marlon Jackson's insight is on the way. IU basketball, life is good, Marlon Jackson. Four in a row, this team Four in a row. had dropped three straight. Trace Jackson Davis last night, Marlon. It was ugly against Minnesota. They hung on without the services of Mike Woodson. We're hoping Coach Woodson's feeling better. He didn't make the trip because of COVID. 61-57, an offensive Hard putback. Fought. Hard fought, fought game. Right, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, just his presence in the post, um, that board that he got there at the end of the game, right, to, to put his team over the top and ultimately to have them be able to bring it home, you know, that was Big Ten basketball. No matter what the records are, throwing all that out the window right. from the beginning, from the jump, back and forth the entire game. And I feel like those types of games, you know, as a former athlete, those built character, right? Those are character building wins on the road, tough environment. You find yourself down. You're able to battle back. You get the lead. They close the gap. No coach. Right? No. And then <laughs> no, no coach. Your leader, the guy at the helm is not present and you're still able to go into a hostile territory and come out with a win. That is how you get better and how you prepare to make a run in March. Yeah, Roseman getting it done as the acting head coach. We're going to hear from Trace Jackson Davis right now. Post game in Minneapolis. Trace Jackson Davis, last night, Hoosier fans, the first IU player with the 20-point, 20-rebound game since DJ White. All the way back in 2008, you had to go to the long, baggy T-shirt 
under DJ's jersey. That's how special Trace Jackson Davis was last night. Trace Jackson Davis now, Marlon Jackson, the first IU player with 1,900 career points, 900 rebounds since Allen Henderson. That list is two people, Henderson and Jackson Davis. Wow. It looked like a football game out there for a little bit. But that's, I mean. that's, been t- that's Big Ten <laughs> basketball. It gets it gets really physical. The refs let them play through it, right? And and, and it builds that grit and that determination. And and I would say, you know, also for Trace uh, Davis Jackson, or Jackson Davis, yes, um, for him to have come come back to IU, what a great decision, mm. right? His, his evolution, his confidence. And just the level of play that he brings to the floor now, he's always been a, a good player, but I think he's, uh, I would say, elevating to a great player, right, in terms of his status and how he's known um, throughout the laurels of IU and across the Big Ten. He is one of the best players across the country when it comes to college basketball. And I think that we are we are seeing his ceiling continue to elevate, you know, because of the hard work that he's put in. And I'm sure Coach Woodson has something to do with that, mm-hmm. where, where you have a, a, pro, a former pro coach come in, a guy that's played professional basketball, that's played at your alma mater, that comes back to be able to pour into you to help you get to that next level. He, he's seeing the, the fruits of his labor right now and the production that he's having on the court. Yah Roseman, the acting head coach last night, post-game, Robbie Hummel's interviewing him. Yah Roseman saying, look, there is no way you can convince me there are 30 or 25 better players in this year's draft class than Trace Jackson Davis. He went on to say something that I'm sure he regrets saying this morning. We're going to get to that story in a moment. Uh, Look. Yeah, Roseman's coached for two decades. This is the first time he's stood in as an acting head coach. Marlon Jackson, Coach Roseman last night admitted postgame at the podium, the only other time he's been an acting head coach was for one game for a 12-and-under rec league team. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Yeah, he could have he kept that one What do you think himself? those emotions were like for him pregame? Oh, my God. I got <laughs> a, a little bit of jitters, right? Some some anxiety. That's wild. Some unnerving. But to, to see... Uh, the job that he was able to do, the rest of the coaching staff, and the thing is that the players responded, you know, um, because that was a type of environment, very hostile, a very back-and-forth type of game. If with the new leader at the helm, it would have been easy for guys to check out for him to possibly lose control, but that shows you a lot about, about his leadership, right, and guys responding and going out there and playing and competing each and every possession, that speaks volumes to the leader that he is. It's interesting you pointed out the rest of the staff. He also shared, look, two other assistants were handling the substitutions. They were telling me who was coming in and out. That allowed me to focus on bringing energy and timeouts, not getting down. Because you're right, Minnesota's 1-7 in the Big Ten. When you get a road crowd into it knowing, okay, we have a chance to steal this one, it doesn't start to feel like you're playing a 1-17. in It ramps up. Right. And and it's that thing in sports. We always talk about momentum and it, it's a real thing. Right. That energy that shifts back and forth. And when you get off to a slow start and you're on the road, it's easy to get lost and to maybe drown in the momentum of the home team. Right. And again, that just shows you the mindset of this team right now. 
who's who's battled back, right? I think you said they had a losing streak of four games. Yeah, three in a row. Three, and now it's they, they've won three in a row, right? You know, four in a row. Four in a row. I know it's um, snowballed quickly in both directions. In, in both directions, but it, it's it's a testament to Mike Davis and his leadership, and overall his coaching staff, and to his players to continue to battle back and fight. Um, and continue to push forward. Yeah, no. Hopefully Coach Woodson's back. Look, this is what the, the weekend looks like for IU. Saturday, Ohio State's coming to town. Chris Holtman's Buckeyes are struggling. One in six over their past seven games. That's been the worst stretch Holtman's endured in Columbus since he took over. Tuesday, you go see Maryland. Maryland beat up on Wisconsin last night by 18. Really run to run away in the second half. And then Marlon Jackson, Saturday, that is right. One week from this Saturday, Purdue heads to IU. Oh, rivalry. That will be. Rivalry game. I mean, for the first time in six years, it feels like both of these teams are legitimate. Contenders? I mean, look, they're going to be dancing, right? Unless IU somehow falls in another rut. You haven't been able to say that with any of these matchups because of how inconsistent IU's been. And Assembly Hall will get to host that game a week from Saturday. It's going to be rocking. <laughs> it's going to be rocking. Trace Jackson Davis has passed four games. To put this winning streak into perspective, 25-21 and 21 to go with six blocks. That was last night. Again, the first player since DJ White in 08 in an IU jersey to go 20-20. and 31-15, five blocks and four assists. That was the win over Michigan State. 35-9, five and three. And then 18, 12, 5, and 4, it has been EA Sports. It's in the game, sponsored box scores yeah, that's, that for Trace like Jackson Davis. player of the year candidate right there. Those types of numbers, those are big boy numbers that, he, that he's putting up, and, and rightfully so. I think we've always known that he's had the talent to mm. do so, but with that is consistency, and you just spoke to consistency, and yeah. that is what elite-level players do. They consistently bring their best performance to the forefront, and he's continuing to do that and leading IU basketball to a solid season. You're listening to former Colt Marlon Jackson. This is Charlie Clifford. Brady's in the driver's seat this afternoon. We cannot go any further with a player of the year discussion without beginning with the leader in the clubhouse right now, and that is Zach Eady at Purdue, the number one ranked Boilers. Going to see Marlon's Michigan Wolverines tonight. Go Blue. Just waiting for that. <laughs> Nine o'clock tip. It's late on Fox Sports One. This is where things stand with Purdue, Marlon Jackson. Only five Big Ten teams since 2000 have started 19 and one overall. The Boilers are now in that crew. There's a couple Michigan teams on that list. We're going to be joined at, at right at two o'clock by a player that has been on one of those Michigan teams and who has also worn a Purdue jersey, Spike Albrecht is joining the show at 2 o'clock. Until then, we look at Matt Painter's team. You listen to the Brady's intro. Hunter Dickinson, star center yeah. at Michigan who can step out and shoot it a little bit. He's given both IU and Michigan fits over the years. And now Zach Eady. Marlon Jackson, if Purdue goes in and beats Michigan, they will have wins over Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State on the road in the same season for the first time since 1998. That's that's big. And I, I think as we've 
all watch this Purdue team. Yes, they they are playing at that level. They are dominant. They are undisputedly the best team in college basketball, right? That's unchecked. Um, there's no argument there regarding that. And I, I'm excited about that matchup of Zach Eady and Hunter Dickerson. You know, Hunter brings a lot of swag, a lot of energy, and, and Zach is Is it a, cocky? I don't know if I would say call it cocky. You know, I'll, I'll just say confident, right? You know, I'll, I'll say confident, borderline. Backs it up. Borderline cocky because he, he does back it up. And, and there's nothing wrong with believing in yourself, right, and going out there and, you know, backing it up with your play. Um, but he's going to be tested tonight, right? You know, it's not often that he has a comparable matchup, right, where it's not really – he's not the favor. Not yeah, the favorite in, in the matchup, right? You know, I, I think coming into this, we we expect Zach Eady to go out there and have a, a great performance to play well. And he, too, is another player that's been playing so consistent, a consistent brand of basketball. And, and with the size and the skill that he has, he's doing what we expect him to do. He should dominate the post. He should own the block. The offense should run through him. It's Edie's block. He, he has made the Big Ten know if you're coming down to these blocks, you're paying the toll on the way in. It's not going to be fun. And It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. And he's going to be there all day in the lane, and he's waiting for you to bring it. And just to, a big guy like that, to have so much skill and finesse and just coordination. Look, those two things don't necessarily always go together. Uh, a, a big guy in coordination and the the combination that he has allows him to be special. I'm with you. Look, this is going to be worth staying up tonight again. Purdue going to Ann Arbor. It's a 9 o'clock tip-off. You mentioned clear-cut number one teams. There are only two other teams in America with one loss at the moment, and I have a feeling 99.5% of college basketball, Marlon, would not know this answer. Heck, they may not know one of these teams exists. The only other two one-loss teams right now in America, Florida Atlantic and the College of Charleston. Okay? So for whoever had their preseason, you know, top 25 saying, oh, yeah, you got Florida Atlantic, you got College of Charleston in there. I mean, these guys have come from off the radar to being the top two mid-major teams now in America, a nice IU connection with Florida Atlantic. We had Dane Fife up here, Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, former IU student assistant the last years of Bob Knight at, at uh, Assembly Hall. It's amazing, Marlon, when you read these resumes, coach all of the places you have to go just to get a crack get at an it. opportunity. He's been down at Florida Atlantic since 2018. There's been a lot of long nights. He's won some games. They put 20-win seasons together, but now one loss all year. It's been an interesting transition. We're going to get back to Purdue. The Boilers, look, it's a split state. We got to touch the ball and move the ball around, keep everybody happy. They've deserved every bit of airtime they've oh, gotten. Yeah. When you win, you shine. <laughs> I mean, it's it's that it's that simple. Yes. You know, it's that simple. Yes. You win, you shine, you get the airtime. <laughs> Let's go. It's that it is no more complicated than that. Last night, the Pacers, it was billed as the front runner for the rookie of the year award against the guy who's chasing him. Paulo Boncaro, uh, Duke yeah. Star, showed out. Ben Matherin continues Marlon Jackson. To be fearless in the lane. Last night post game, like Rick Carlisle, he was asked about sizing up this rookie of the year competition. Some kind words for the 
Magic rookie and also his rookie who now has, for the second time, three consecutive 20-point games. Benedict Matherin is playing the best ball of his rookie season. Here's Coach Carlisle. With Bancaro with 23, Matherin with 26. Marlon, another slow start. Kind of did Rick's team in. I think that that's the thing that stands out about that game again was the slow start and and not really able to fully close the gap. You know, they, they made a lot of runs throughout that game towards the end of the first half, right into the fourth quarter, but they were not able to fully close it and take the lead. And you know, is is that fatigue? What is it? We don't know. Or is it that mental fortitude and that competitive, you know, energy and balance? Um, we don't know, but we can only speculate as to why they got off to another slow start and weren't able to come back and, you know, win the game. Um, you know, when you when you think about Benedict Matherin and what he's able to do as, as a rookie, you know, it's phenomenal the, the confidence that a guy like him possesses um, and how bright the future is for the Indiana Pacers with all the young talent that is on the roster. And maybe that is maybe that's a part of at the same time of the slow starts being a a young team in terms of your core players that are your best guys are young guys. And, you know, maybe it is learning a little bit of that that scheduling within the NBA and how rigorous it is yeah. and, you know, the maintenance of your body off the court and all of those things and managing and balancing the travel. Not sure what it is, but just throwing out things that could be factors that could be in the mix. No, and you're right. They had beaten the Bulls, a game that took every ounce of effort two nights ago. Got to go right to the airport, Hot fly Bulls. to Orlando, play an Orlando team that was rested. Carlisle said post game, it's not an excuse Pacers have actually been really good on second nights to back-to-backs all year, and I think that's a testament to having a younger team. But to your point with Matherin, look, in the middle of your rookie year, you're now 50-plus games in. I think the vast majority of rookies, you hit that wall. You haven't played this level of competition this many games in this span in your life. And Matherin, Marlon Jackson, is going the other way. Three consecutive 20-point games, he is attacking the rim. He's going up. On a nightly bait. He's up. not copping out saying, hey, let me shoot 10 corner threes a night. If he is open and there is no one in front of him, he is going to the rim. He's looking for contact. Coach Carlisle said last night, testament to this young man's will. Your thoughts on the fearlessness you've seen from this young man who clearly legitimately believes he's the best player in the world. Well, that's what stands out when he was drafted. Like, you know, I think I don't know if that sound bite about somebody asking him about LeBron James yes. and like he's like, he's he's gotta show me. Right. Like, you know, and when you when you when you heard that in that we moment, all cringed a little bit. You're like, oh man, that's gonna come back and bite him in the butt. <laughs> but now you're like, I get it. Yeah. It makes sense now, right? He has such a high belief in himself. Right. And that's based upon his experience and his life and what he's been able to overcome. I don't know what that may be, but it's something there that has forged a a mindset and an attitude that's created this desire and will to be the best that he can possibly be. And where I'm sure a guy like him, you know, he sees no ceiling and he, he's just his potential is unknown and, and he's chasing truly. It. Right. And for us to see this level of play so soon for me as a fan here in the city of Indianapolis, I'm excited. Right. I'm like, wow. Like they they, look at this. This this has been a one in eight stretch and we're sitting up here legitimately excited. Not 
This isn't smoke. We aren't trying to be PR people here and pump up a team that you don't believe in. I think no one over this one and eight game stretch, Tyrese Halberton has been hurt. I don't get a sense that anyone's hitting the panic button or stepping back on what they believed in earlier this year. This is just reality in the NBA, Marlon. It's tough to win when your best player isn't on the floor if you have one of the top three teams in either conference. Right. And, and These teams are too good. It's, it's the NBA. It's competitive. There, there's going to be some highs and some lows. But I think if, as a fan base, if we are all honest with ourselves and we stop and we ask ourselves, what did we expect of this season before it started – I can't believe that many people are going to say that they forecasted what we see occurring now. Like, no, I, I don't. I don't think we saw the team gelling like this. You you had questions about the roster, the moves, and you know, with essentially gutting it last season and and, and choosing to start over again, you you were worried and concerned. Like, or are the Pacers trying to win? <laughs> like, um, yes, they're trying to win, and they've made some good decisions. They've made some great moves, and you know, you have to be very happy with the front office right now and the moves that they're making in the direction that they're taking the team because the best thing about it is that they, they play team basketball like you know they they share the ball they 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 are um, supporting one another right it, it seems like a very positive vibe and energy from the locker room and this is just being an observer right, right. you know it's, it's what you just see in terms of the energy that's flowing from the organization and the team and we, we're saying this all in spite of a bit of a losing streak but that, that doesn't wipe out the success that has occurred already this season. And as Carlisle said last night, look, 46 points you give up in the first quarter, you pretty much have to play a perfect game the rest of the way. That was his thought. And they nearly did. But you can't knock the heart of this team. You can't question the effort because whether it's the Bulls at home in front of 16,000 or the Magic on the road on the second night of a back-to-back, they've clawed their way back into every game. No quit. N- no quit. Now, on the other side of the coin, you need to figure out the start of games. There has been louder questions of late of, okay, why is ben- Benedict Matherin still coming Not off the, the bench? bench? Are you going to have yeah. to reevaluate that? You know, you think the coaches aren't thinking about that? You think that's not priority number one of how do you not look up at the scoreboard after the first quarter and say, how are we down 14 points every night? Surely they're going to find answers, and truly there will be no solution until Hal Burton's back on the floor. What, and, and hopefully that's and how in the many next, games has has he been out? He's now missed, I believe it's eight. They're they're now one and eight without him this year. Okay, and it's going to be it looks like through the end of this week. And again, the last we've heard from Hal Burton is he's targeting early February. He has gotten back on the practice floor to do some non contact work, but the good news is you avoided serious injury. These are a knee b- b- bone bruise and the same thing with the elbow. So yeah. whew, with what you've been through. But, but bone bruises are, they, they are, they take quite some time to heal and they can be extremely <laughs> painful. Yes. To tell you from it, from experience firsthand, I, I know. And for me, like the question becomes who, who are the Indiana Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton? Right. Like that is, that is the, the question, right? Cause you said They're one and scrappy. eight. I think that's the number one word, him, but then what we see with him, how can we still get that level of play and effectiveness and efficiency when he's not in the lineup? I, I know a part of that is just the individual 
the talent yeah, yeah, that he possesses just, and the yeah. plays that he's able to make. But you have to figure out because it's like, you know, in, in every sport, unfortunately, players get hurt and it's always the saying of next man up. And can you continue to perform at the same level is the question. And what I hear from you in terms of one and eight when he's been out <laughs> is no right now. No, and that's putting it lightly. TJ McConnell's played the best basketball of his career. And, you know, Andrew Nemhart's taken a step back, the rookie from Gonzaga. He's as Matherin's kind of gone one way, has hit this somehow ascension in the middle of his rookie year. Surely Andrew Nimhart is feeling what most rookies are feeling right now. Of uh, Again, he's played off the ball all year, and now you're asking him to play point guard. It's just a completely different position. Regardless, Pacers-Bucks, that's a Friday night game. We'll wait and see. Miles Turner got a little banged up at the end of the loss last night in Orlando. Again, 126-120 magic. We'll see how things shake out against Giannis and Chris Middleton. The Bucks should have their stars tomorrow night. That is a tall order to say the yes. least. Marlon Jackson, earlier you talked about honesty and the fan base, you and I having a realistic perspective about where things sit. And that is where we now need to discuss Jeff Saturday. He, from what appears, has been one of the first in the door for a second interview. Yep. This story, which I think many of you wondered at the beginning, okay, first interview, is this going to be a courtesy situation? Someone who came in, dedicated their life, basically told their family, I'll see you after the season. I've got to try to fix this mess. This is unprecedented uh, here, considering the experience level I have, but I'm going to do it because I love Jim Irsay. All right, so that's going to get you at least one interview despite going one and seven. Get you a foot in the door. Now, you have much more than a foot in the door. You are the odds-on favorite to be the head coach. You know, look, human nature, I'm looking at the rest of this list. Sean Payton's not coming here. He hasn't. He, the one team Sean Payton hasn't talked to is the Indianapolis Colts. There's no coincidence there. It appears that that's, that's not going to happen. They're yes. on to round two of interviews. That door is closed, it appears. Jeff Saturday has to know in the back of my mind, all right, I'm looking at this list. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, and – I guess the question as we sit here that comes to my mind is what makes us automatically say that Jeff is, you know, in the driver's seat. What what causes that reaction or that thought for us other than him being first to interview in the first round and now with the second round, him being first up? I'm not sure that that equates to him being in the driver's seat. Um, but the thing is, we don't know. Um, but I, I believe that the relationship is the cornerstone of what we see in terms of the opportunity that's being offered to Jeff through a, through an interview. Um, so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to continue to be very interesting. It's like Christmas every day, right? now, (laughs) right? The anticipation, what is it going to be? Is it going to be today? Is it going to be this guy? Is it going to be this? But we know that there are a lot of candidates. Um, we know that there's an affinity, you know, right. You know, Mr. Ursay to Jeff Saturday. Um, so some of those data points may lead us to believe that he may be in the driver's seat, but we don't know. Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford, Brady is here on the other side of this break. The discrepancy in the number of candidates the Colts have spoken with, 
compared to everybody else, that eye-popping number plus who is coming in now after Jeff Saturday and why he may have stiffer competition that may have to wait after this week's games. That's next on The Fan. Yeah, Roseman for the win. IU acting head coach last night. This is post-game in Minneapolis. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson here with you. Parker queuing up uh, the line of the night from, let's face it, a assistant coach who's worked his tail off 21 years and told you, I'll kiss your tail. Uh, if you couldn't hear that, I assume Yasir Roseman walked off and said, probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, Mike Woodson's probably going to text me. He's getting killed in a locker room. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's what I, I, I mean. Sound bites like that. Wording is key. Right. Not just, uh, not just the, the coaching <laughs> staff, the players. Everybody's going to let him know about that, that one. He's never going to live that one that, down. That will end up on a T-shirt. That, and, or, or definitely a meme, right? Yeah. Something on social media. Now. That will live on. Listen, he got the job done. The win is important. A uh, learning experience, I'm sure, for handling post-game situations when you're a little juiced up. And uh, certainly as an acting head coach, your goal is not to make headlines in the post-game Game commentary. Statements. Uh, get your win, get out of the way. Nonetheless, he did that, so hats off. It was a, a hard-fought win, 61-57. IU has four straight Big Ten regular season wins for the first time since February of 2019. How about that? Jeff Rabjohns, 1 o'clock. He joins us after heading out to Minneapolis for that one. Marlon Jackson, we now segue back to this coaching search. Nathaniel Hackett, the man canned in Denver. You and I sat on the Wish TV set after the thrilling Thursday night Just hired, game. Right? Nathaniel Hackett is going where? Was it New, New York, York Jets? New York Jets offensive coordinator, correct? Let me tell you, my cousin group chat, my dad's from the Bronx. I was raised a Jet fan. Save your jokes. I've heard them all. They are not pleased with the addition of Nathaniel Hackett. When they heard about this, they did not say, let's ride. No. (laughs) It would have been the opposite opposite of that. The opposite. Let's get out the car. Let's impound this thing. We're not going for this ride. Because did you see that offense in Denver this past season, right? Absolutely <laughs> terrible, and and that's to say it right light lightly, right? You know that's that's walking on on eggshells, saying that it was terrible. You, you when you see things like this, you just wonder in, in terms of the decision making process. What was it? I mean, it's obviously previous experiences, things that are on his resume. Correct. Um, Good running Green Bay. Good running, with a good Green quarterback Bay with a, with a good quarterback. So maybe, but that that's another problem that you're going to the Jets. There's a lot of uncertainty around the quarterback. This was another situation where, you know, you thought you had the guy in Denver. You don't know if you have a guy in New York. So there's still a lot to figure out within the New York Jets franchise. But it'll be interesting. Obviously, maybe, are they going to be in the market now in the draft trying to move up to get one of these quarterbacks? Or are they riding on Mike White? Well, you brought up the point I hope we were going to get to. Nathaniel Hackett's relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was on Pat McAfee's show earlier this week saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. The whole trade stuff, it's all conjecture until I decide whether I actually want to play or not. 
the Jets have now strategically aligned themselves to potentially lure Aaron Rodgers. Woody Johnson, the owner of the New York Jets, has already gone on the record saying we are fine paying the King's ransom it will get in terms of draft capital to lure now the second, what would be the second historic quarterback from Green Bay into a Jet uniform. You remember... Brett Favre. Yeah, that's where he finished his career. Uh, then one, went one to of, the, the Vikings. Stops. One of the stops. Yes. Um, the stops. Uh, but nonetheless, that was earth-shattering news at that point. Brett Favre in a jet uniform. Brett Favre in New York City. Are you kidding me? It would feel like a similar reaction knowing it would be Rodgers versus the New York media twice a week for 18 weeks. That would be... Bravo would I like that. I say would, very strategic. Would buy that. And that's what see that's what strategic <laughs> thinking does. That's exact that is now I can see, right, the reasoning. That makes sense. Right? If you're being strategic and you're playing chess, we're going to make one of these early mm-hmm. moves to set ourselves up for success later on to possibly land Aaron Rodgers, right? We we have capital, right? So we can make some moves. And then we even with Aaron Rodgers, an older quarterback, we have a guy in Mike White that would be more than a serviceable Mr. White backup, right? You know, so yes, I can I can see that. I can see that. But it'll it'll be interesting now that you say that. <laughs> I will be watching to see how that unfolds. It's an oxymoron. The Jets have a plan. You've never been able to say that. Maybe they do this time around. Back here, look, these are kind of the overlapping names, again, with the second interviews that are going to transpire in Indianapolis. Raheem Morris is due in tomorrow. Rams defensive coordinator, in-person, second interview. Again, it appears that Jim Irsay hasn't necessarily sat in on these first-round interviews. Certainly, Chris Ballard, Ed Dodds, and the hierarchy gathering the intel on these candidates. And now we've moved forward to round two. Raheem Morris in tomorrow. Dan Quinn, Cowboys defensive coordinator, in Saturday. Um, In terms of the overlap, it certainly looks like, as I garner my uh, shortlist here, which is escaping me right now. Carolina appears to be Frank Reich, Steve Wilkes, the two front runners at the moment. Frank Reich got his second interview yesterday in Carolina. Dan Quinn has will interview for a second time with the Arizona Cardinals. So he appears to be in demand. Also in Denver, Quinn has been talking. Raheem Morris also named Denver's kind of the oddball here. Marlon Jackson, because Sean Payton's in the mix. David Shaw, the former Stanford coach who walked away this past season, his relationship with Condoleezza Rice, who's now part of the ownership group, has brought Shaw's name very much into the mix. And then D'Amico Ryans, the coordinator who's still busy coaching on the defensive side. The Colts were not able to speak with him late last week. It was canceled. He, it yes. canceled on the team. Which I think is understandable, honestly. Yep, given the circumstance. Right. Now, the problem with D'Amico Ryans is, and Stephen Holder, who really dug into this deeply, who will join us at 1.30, because he has not done a first interview with the Colts, he will not be able, if the Niners advance to the Super Bowl, circle back during that off week. The league rule states, only if you have already interviewed officially with the team can you go and re- revisit a second conversation. So the Colts are really on the outside looking in at Ryan's. I mean, they will not be able to talk to him. Again, if the Niners upset the Eagles on Sunday in Philadelphia, that is going to be a long wait. And if you're 
Jim Irsay, are you willing to wait that long? A domino is going to fall here, Marlon. Yeah, but if, a domino is going to fall. If and, it's the guy that you want, you you'll be willing willing to wait. Um, and and it's interesting, you know, two of the guys that you've mentioned are getting second interviews are defensive guys, you know, um, and I, I I would believe that our fan base wouldn't necessarily expect us to go in the direction of more of a defensive-minded head coach. You you would maybe think with what we experienced over the last few seasons of the inconsistencies at the quarterback position and then having to fire our offensive coordinator in season along with our head coach that was more of an offensive-minded guy, um, you know, but now seemed to be possibly leaning towards more defensively. Um, it's, it's all interesting just to see and try to gauge what direction the team really wants to go in um, and, and what are – maybe that's a, a question for Steven, you know, at, when he comes on with us to think what are, what are those factors that are being taken into consideration with these individuals that are being brought in? What, what is it, you know, within their resume that makes them appealing to the Indianapolis Colts? You know, these are you, – you so often you just – you hear the name – you you have an uh, you have an idea of where they're coming from their current situation, but you don't understand why this is appealing, why the Colts are intrigued by this individual. You know, it's things that you have to start to try to piece together on your own. Um, but you will hope you know, and the relationship that you know beat writers have with the team. Sometimes they maybe have access to a bit more information um, to have a deeper understanding and can shed some light. But this is me, um, a former player, now a fan, um, and the media a little bit, wondering what's the next move. And as I see the moves being made, I'm wondering why. You know, what's the reasoning as to why, you know, Raheem is getting a second interview, why Jeff Saturday received a second interview, why Dan Quinn is in line for a second interview. You know, um, obviously Dan Quinn, the the defense for the Cowboys. Obviously, they played they were played extremely well this season. You think he throws out, "Hey, I'll bring Micah Parsons with me." How's that sound? I was was thinking, like as I was saying that, it's like, yeah. One thing is like you know the defensive philosophy and the scheme, but when you get you have Micah Parsons coming off the edge and keep looking at this tape, number eleven is really good. And then you're you're, a good coach when you're Raheem Morris and you you have Aaron Donald on the inside. Yes, that's beating triple teams like, you know, it makes your job a lot easier. So and then I say that because it's not all about just the scheme that they're bringing. What's the talent like on the roster? Like who's who's going to execute that scheme? And then what we've seen from that coach at their former destination. Do they have the pieces here to get those same results? Marlon Jackson's here. Charlie Clifford as well. Up next, a additional look at. The rookie of the year battle that we saw play out last night in Orlando. Plus, IU makes it four straight. And Spike Albrecht's coming on the show for the Purdue-Michigan showdown tonight. Spike, it's a split household. You remember his heroics in both jerseys. But up next, Jeff Rabjohns joins us with the latest on the Red Hot Hoosiers. We'll be back in two. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Indy, what's going on? Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson in the house with you this afternoon, noon to three. Jeff Rabjohns joins us at the top of the hour. IU four straight Big Ten regular season wins for the first time since 2019. Trace Jackson Davis just did the unthinkable again. Some of the 
bizarre numbers that Jackson Davis has thrown up and what's changed with him over the past four games. Rabbi's insight there. Stephen Holder's coming on at 1.30 for the latest on the Colts coaching surf search. Excuse me. Many of you are beginning to wonder is Jeff Saturday going to end up being the guy? Holder's thoughts on that coming momentarily. It is championship weekend. Joe Burrow, Marlon Jackson, 3-0. 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes' lifetime. Patrick Mahomes, full participant in practice yesterday. That was a stunner after what you saw him get through in the divisional round win. Let's start in the AFC. It's the night game Sunday night. Where are your thoughts on Cincinnati trying to return and Kansas City trying to avenge what was a stunning upset one year ago on this weekend. Yeah, I, I think it's a phenomenal matchup. Um, it's it's the new age, right? We got we got Joey B on, on one side. You got Patrick Mahomes. Um, two two great offenses going up against one another. I, I think it's going to be for me whichever defense plays the best. Um, you know, on Sunday is going to determine who wins this football game. I think defense and special teams is going to decide this football game. Um, obviously, two extremely talented offenses that are extremely difficult to stop. Um, but it, but in this matchup over the last couple of years, we know who has the upper hand. That guy yeah. with the swagger, right? Not too far away from here in Ohio, Cincinnati, <laughs> Joey B. Is this... When Burrow breaks under the spotlight, and until that happens, Marlon Jackson, I'm not betting against Joe Burrow. And I think Patrick nope. Mahomes is the best quarterback. You know, sheer talent, sheer performance. He's won it on the biggest stage. He's gotten there. But I think Joe Burrow has that X factor right now. You, you just said it, right? I was thinking like that it factor. Like he literally has it. You call it swagger. You call it confidence. Right, we call it, some of you might call it drip. Like he, he has all <laughs> of the above. He is that guy, and for me, I, I saw it when when I watched him play at LSU. Like I, I felt like he was just a phenomenal generational quarterback that is extremely confident, extremely poised, is extremely accurate with the football, and the tandem of him and Jamar Chase is just about unstoppable, but you throw in there T. Higgins as well, the running backs and Joe Mixon, the guys that they have, they even have tight ends as well. Yeah. You know, they are an extremely talented, I would say even more talented across the board on offense than the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I'm with you. From a skill position standpoint, I think the Bengals and the Niners have the best two skill units left. Brian Callahan is in the mix for the Colts head coaching spot. He's been the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati for four seasons. If Brian Callahan, unless there's a sense that, okay, when this guy walks in the locker room, he's just not going to be able to get that response as a head coach. I think Brian Callahan should absolutely be a finalist here. Even in Joe Burrow's match race, and think about it. He's been on the ground floor with Burrow since he got in. He went through the knee injury. Yep. It was ugly early. Zach Taylor was about to get run out of town. His record was atrocious. They had, you know, three-win season, two-win season. That didn't look good. They stuck with Zach Taylor. They stuck with Brian Callahan. It's worked. They've drafted the pieces to put around to give Burrow the, the elite playmakers. To me, Brian Callahan should absolutely be a finalist for this opening, knowing 
you have to marriage you there has to be a marriage above all else between the offensive play caller and the, and the rookie quarterback you're yep. going to take and that's why I'm interested before we get to Eagles Niners Jeff Saturday certainly had to present Jim Mercer and Chris Ballard yesterday a plan of who his offensive coordinator would be and I would love to have that answer I know no one has it yet publicly but to me that is just if you are hiring Jeff Saturday his OC is just it's as important. important. Oh, equal, oh there God, is yes. no difference. Your thoughts on that? So, and, well, the thing that, in my opinion, that, that hurts Jeff is because he hasn't been here before, with with the circumstance that the Colts organization finds themselves within right now, starting from scratch, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, um, offensive line issues. Right? You know, the guy you mentioned, Callahan, when he started at Cincinnati, right? New quarterback. There were, right. Nobody was talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. A, a ton of offensive line issues. And even when when they, when they drafted Burrow and they got going, they knew that they had to shore up things up front. So in terms of what the current issues are and then having experience with those same areas, he's an individual that I think of right now, oh, he's been there. So, you know, they, they say that experience is the best teacher. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and for a guy like him, he's been there. He's done that. And he's been successful. And and this goes back to the points I was saying earlier in terms of what are the data points? These are data points that I would use as an evaluator to say just how I would score, score these coaches. Yeah. Right. And, And I would have the have a high score on Callahan because of he's been there from the ground up of starting with the rookie quarterback, having offensive line issues, and then taking things to another level that is Super Bowl. Right, right. <laughs> you know, okay. what What greater resume as we sit here and talk about the guy right now? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Marlon, I wanted to get here at some point in this show because this is – this is just insane. There is a coach this weekend. Again, Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford here. And you know what? I don't have enough time to get there, so I'm not even going to do it right now. We are coming back. I'm going to give you the nugget on the coach. There is a coach, Marlon Jackson, who will walk on a sideline this weekend in one of these championship games. He's an assistant. For the ninth consecutive year, this coach will be in the AFC championship game. That story. But up next, Jeff Rabjohn's. No Mike Woodson. The Hoosiers get it done. A game they needed at the barn last night. We will begin to look ahead. How much further will this win streak continue? The Buckeyes are coming to Assembly Hall this weekend. Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com is coming on your show next. IU is no longer living on a prayer. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson, 1-4 to 5-4 in Big Ten play. Four consecutive wins on the back of Trace Jackson Davis, who continues to climb the rankings and really put himself right next to Zach Eady in terms of the player of the year in the Big Ten conversation. Eady has a sizable lead considering his consistency and what Purdue's done from the jump this season. But... Without further ado, we're going to the Motor Shop Hotline and Fishers. Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. They're under the umbrella 247 Sports. Please get to at Jeff Rabjohns on Twitter to read his full recap of the 61-57 win last night at Minnesota. Rabby, great to hear from you again. Minnesota throws a little loose 2-3 zone at Trace Jackson Davis last night. They send a bunch of double teams. 
and he still walks out with another stat line that makes you think, oh, gosh, what is the ceiling for this young man? Your thoughts on how IU attacked Minnesota offensively without Mike Woodson on the bench? Well, I mean, I I don't know that who was on the bench really had a ton to do with how they attacked because, um, you know, IU wasn't making shots. And and IU actually got – open three pointers um but when you know when when you go combined three for 19 from the field uh twos and threes combined from your three three main guards Jalen Chapino, Trey Galloway uh, and Tamar Bates uh, I don't care what your style is I don't care what your approach is <laughs> three for 19 ain't gonna do it for you uh so you know you got shots and um they missed them you know and you know for whatever reason you know guys were off whatever but three for 19 was was the biggest problem for indiana offensively uh as far as trace he was just phenomenal i mean we're, we're reaching the point where where we're going you know deep into the, the thesaurus for okay give me another <laughs> word to describe trace fantastic phenomenal amazing otherworldly stunning and it's kind of like okay you know it's trace jackson davis being trace jackson davis and i and i think as far as his game it's really interesting to watch because last year he took a big step defensively right you know archie miller archie miller wanted him to always box out your guy don't leave your guy to go to the rim mike woodson said screw that you're a pogo stick if somebody's got a free run at the basket get your butt up there and go block the daggum shot son and so all of a sudden <laughs> it, it was a really good philosophical move and i think it freed trace up a little mentally to just okay i can go for shots and somebody else better go block out the guy uh, in case I pop it off the backboard but then this year there's been such a offensive improvement because uh, it's specifically his passing his vision and where he can pass from you know his first two years of college you would have never thrown Trace Jackson Davis the ball on purpose outside the arc <laughs> now, the, now, now I mean you, you really wouldn't have yeah, other than an, oh, my God, I'm about to travel here, Trace, I'm going to throw it to you. And give, give me the ball back. Don't dribble, son. Um, but now they're throwing it to him outside the arc. They're, you know, they did it against Nebraska really well, and they did it against Illinois very well. You know, he had a, that game against Illinois. Five, it was five assists he finished with, but he had a number of other passes to cutters. They're throwing the ball to Trace at the arc, sometimes a step outside the arc, and then sending cutters and saying, okay, Trace, you make reads. And two years right. ago, no chance you asked him to do that. So his game evolved. I think last year it was a big defensive evolvement for him. This year, I think it's been an offensive evolvement for him. Trace Jackson Davis last night, the first major conference player in college basketball since Hashim Thabit, the former big fella at UConn in 2009, to have a game of 25 points, 20 rebounds, and five blocks, Marlon Jackson. That's awesome. how unique that performance was last awesome, night. Awesome. And- Jeff, this is Marlon Jackson here. I, I want to ask. How are you, you, man? By the way, it's great to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. So what do you attribute the the evolution of, of you know, of Trace Jackson Davis to? What do, you, what do you think transpired over this last year to allow him to take another leap forward offensively? Well, I think there's been several things. Um you know, I, th- I think Mike Woodson has been really good for him as far as just, you know, like we talked about the defensive improvement last year, the defensive adjustment. Um, I, th- I think Trace has sort of like come into his own a little bit, just mentally and emotionally. Okay, I am really good. Um, you know, people are going to double me. I am going to get a ton of attention. All right, I just got to deal with it. And, and I think that, that takes a little bit of time, especially when, you, when you're a, a great player coming out of high school. Um, 
and, and Trace was a great player in high school, dominant, McDonald's All-American, all that. Uh, I, I think it takes time to sort of come into your own and understand, okay, I am really good, but I've got to add these things to my game. And I think the the, the, the third level is understand they're, whoever they are, the opponent every night, they're coming after me. They're going to double me. They're going to send a big. They're, they're going to dig. I'm going to get bumped. I'm going to get banged. I'm not going to get every call. And it, I think it just takes a while to just sort of just get to the point where, okay, all right, you're going you're gonna to bump me. You're going to bang me. Fine. I'm going up and scoring anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you got me. You got me last play. All right, buddy, I'm catching it again. You know, stop me for 37 minutes, 38, 39, 40. I don't think so. And Trace even said the other night, I don't think there's anybody in the country who can stop me one-on-one. And some people are like, oh, my God, why did you say that? <laughs> well, because he's finally gotten to the point he thinks that. And I actually think, I mean, Marlon, you played at the highest level. I, you tell me if I'm wrong. I think you need to think that way. Confidence Going, is if, key. If you are the man, I think you need to think that way. You it, are exactly right. It is clear that that evolution has happened. Jeff, who's Yao Roseman, the acting head coach last night? Um, who is this man? Uh, well, you know, he's, uh, he's in his second year as, as an assistant coach there at Indiana. He's been an assistant. He played out at Oregon under Ernie Kent. He's been an assistant uh, at Georgia, been an assistant in Oregon. Um, kind of comes from uh, the Kenny Payne tree, you know. Um, people were surprised when he said last night uh, that I called my mentor Kenny Payne. And I think a lot of people just didn't know that, you know, Kenny Payne, obviously now the coach at Louisville, right. formerly with the New York Knicks, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so th- those two have been really close for, gosh, I, uh, I hate to speak for, yeah, but somewhere around 20 years. Yeah. Um, and you see Rosemont, he's got a ton of ties. Uh, he's originally from the Atlanta area. And, um, you know, he's he's the guy who got them to kind of the four star 2023 guard who will be at IU next year. He's the guy who's got them in on a on a lot of big time players in, in the Atlanta area. Um, so but that's who you see Rosemont is. Your thoughts on his curious comments post game. We've had some fun today about it. Basically saying, if you're just joining us, look, if you think there's 30 better players in this year's draft class than Trace Jackson Davis, I'll kiss your butt. Uh, look, we I thought it I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. Clearly, I'm sure he would have reworded things, but you are an acting head coach. Uh I'm sure you are not trying to make headlines, and that was a, a moment of adrenaline. How do you think that will be addressed behind the scenes, Jeff? I don't know that Mike Woodson's gonna care all that much. Okay. Um, yeah. To be honest with you. I think he's um, gonna hear about it in the locker room. That's where he's gonna I, hear about I, it. I, I, I mean, now maybe Mike Woodson may say, okay, don't say that on, on, on TV or something yeah. like that. But pay, pay the FCC I, fine <laughs> and move on. I, I, thought it, I thought it was actually kind of cool. And the reason I thought it was kind of cool was because the players thought it was cool and a bunch of recruits thought it was really freaking cool that, that he went out there and just, you know, had his guys back. Now, obviously, that's not a hardcore evaluation of Trace Jackson Davis's draft status. I don't think anybody with a brain took it in that manner. Sure. They took it as, as a coach, you know, know going out there and you know i'm gonna say something really freaking cool about my dude and i'm gonna drop it on tv and my guys are gonna see it trace is gonna see it all the guys we're recruiting are gonna see it so it it, it went over <laughs> really well in basketball circles so and i know some people are like well don't say you know certain words on tv i don't know man yeah. I'm, i've spent my whole life around athletics i mean 
is is that even a swear word anymore? I guess for some people, but I mean, not on uh, the radio because we aired it for our producers. Those are like those those in in locker rooms. Those are like those inside jokes where you may word something not that it's inappropriate, but it's it's funny in terms of the the choice of wording, and they they're gonna bust his you know what behind it. Like there's gonna be a lot of jokes made about kissing you know kissing ass all all of that, but it will be something that's a joke and that's kind of celebrated. And I think they'll all get a laugh out of it. I remember so many times us having those types of situations unfold in our locker rooms. It made for a nice story from what was a a really grinded out kind of win. Rab John, Jeff Rab John's here. Excuse me on the Mower Shop Hotline. Jeff, your thoughts on Ohio State coming in Saturday? The Buckeyes are really in a rut. I don't know if Chris Holtman's had to deal with this type of stretch in the middle of a season before. One in six over their past big ten, seven Big Ten games. What still concerns you if you're Mike Woodson about this team that's now won four straight in the Big Ten for the first time since 2019? Well, I think the biggest thing that concerns you if you're Mike Woodson is, is uh, your guard play. You know, you won on Wednesday night at Minnesota Beer. Your, your guards were bad. I mean, you know, you, let's not put whipped cream on an onion. They won the game, yeah, but the IU's guards are bad. You, you need better guard play than that. Um, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis was absolutely phenomenal, but you don't want to be just dependent upon Trace being great to win games. And a couple times he's had to be great. Now, that, that's awesome if you have that guy. But I think the, the, the concern for Mike Woodson is, okay, how do we get the guards playing better? I, th- I think that's probably the number one thing um, that, that, that they really need is just better guard play. Again, your three main guys, they can't go three for 19 and you walk into the Big Ten game and saying, yeah, that'll do, that'll get it done. Miller Cop last night, 11 points in 40 minutes. Tamar Bates, scoreless in 10 minutes. Your thoughts on that discrepancy in terms of the playing time last night? Well, are you talking Miller Cop and Bates, or are you talking Race and Malik Renault? Well, that would be the other sideline. I know Rosemont said post game, right? It was a defensive issue with the switching in terms of why Renault didn't get more run after scoring 10 in 12 minutes, right? Yeah, it was all about defense because. They basically looked at the, the the game last night in the first half and went. Their thought was, we're not going to win an offensive game. You yeah. know, we're we're not going to get up there well into the 70, 75, 76, 77 points. It's going to be a defensive game, and they felt like if they were going to win a defensive game, race was better suited to help them win a defensive game than Malik was. And I think that's true. Um, now, obviously, fans look at a guy scoring 10 points in 12 minutes <laughs> and basically playing one possession in the second half and go, well, what the heck? Right. Wouldn't he got you 10 points in the second half? Very understandable question. Um, and I think you can go either way. But the decision was, hey, it's going to be a defensive game. Race is better defensively. He doesn't get beat. And, 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 and Minnesota, it was interesting because Minnesota basically – Going into the game last night, they'd been running a bunch of uh, high-low stuff off horn, horns action and that kind of stuff, okay. but mainly high-low. Last night, it was a whole bunch of five-out. And what they were trying to do is anytime Malik Renault was on the floor, they were trying to get him switched yeah. onto a perimeter tr- player. And you could tell there was a clear order, drive Malik, <laughs> drive Malik. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, I'm a dumb sports writer, and I could see that after three possessions. I'm like, it's easy to figure out. Right. So I, think, I think a lot of the decision, Ray Thompson versus Malik, was 
Malik's just getting destroyed defensively. It's going to be a defensive game. We trust race more defensively, so we're going with race. That, that I think, was the decision. Either way, a nice step forward for a freshman, Renault. I believe that was his top scoring game since around Thanksgiving. Marlon Jackson, as we start to look ahead to the game a week from Saturday, Purdue, IU, Assembly Hall, little roundtable here, Rabbi. Your, your thoughts on the weight of a game of this magnitude between these two schools, Marlon, what do you expect that are, that game to look and sound like a week from Saturday? I would definitely start just a hostile environment. Um, you know, just uh, with it being a rivalry game, ton of excitement from the fan bases, uh, specifically the student sections. Uh, it's going to be extremely um, rowdy in the building. I, I think uh, elevated in terms of energy, emotions for the players. So a, a big part of it is which team, which players can control the emotions that come at the moment and who can get off to a, fa- a fast start and who's going to be able to finish um, will determine ultimately who, who wins the game. It's a good point. We saw Jaden Ivey struggle with that in Purdue's loss at IU last year. Trey Galloway really roughed him up. The officials kind of dictated that. Rabbi, your thoughts on the game now? We're closing in. The wait's almost over. Yeah, I think for Indiana, um, you a couple things. You want Trace Jackson Davis versus Zach Eady to be somewhat of a wash. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I even even if up up four points, down four points, something you just as long as it's close, I think you take that. Now if Trace can outplay him. Certainly, you'd love that, but I think you take take a wash. I don't think if you're IU, you spend a whole bunch of time doubling Zach Eady because one, I don't think it's working very well for a lot of teams. No. And two, and two, I if I'm if I'm coach, I'm Mike Woodson. I ain't leaving Fletcher Lawyer. Ain't named for nothing. Um, I mean, every time you, he gets open shots, it seems like, you know, when, when, when people leave him open for long stretches of a game, it seems like he goes off. Uh, I think Indiana has to contain Fletcher Lawyer, and I think Indiana has to do a really good job being disciplined against Purdue's screening and cutting. I think Purdue is arguably one of the best teams in the country at screening and cutting for an entire possession with purpose. Some people, you know, run a couple screens here or there, but if you defend the first few screens, then it's kind of like the possession's over. You know, Braden Smith's footwork is tremendous. Fletcher Lawyer's footwork is tremendous. You know, Caleb First has really, really come on as a guy who can do multiple different things. So I think when you play Purdue, everybody gets caught up in Zach Eady, Zach Eady, Zach Eady, and he is great. There's no question. I think some teams that get smoked by Purdue get so lost and so consumed by Zach Eady that they forget, hey, Mason Gillis can make shots. Hey, Brandon Newman can make shots. Hey, Caleb Burst can do these things. You know, Trey Kaufman-Renz even had this couple games where you go, hey, you know, he was good for his 6, 8, 10, 12 minutes. Right. Um, and Braden Smith, you know, and, and Lawyer, they have been just absolutely tremendous at running what Purdue wants to do. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's like Painter said a couple of years ago, most every player in college basketball has deficiencies. Can you maximize their strengths and hide their deficiencies? And I think Matt Painter does not get enough credit for how well he's maximized the strengths of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer and, and really hidden some of the deficiencies. Um, but, but when you play Purdue, yeah, Zach Eady's great, but if you don't handle their cutting and screening for an entire possession, you're getting your butt kicked. 
February 4th. The wait is over. Basketball State, IU, Purdue. It's going to mean even more this time around. Jeff Rabjohns, go to 247sportspeaks.com. Continue to follow along this roller coaster IU season that is now enjoying its best, really, its best run over two weeks in now four years. Rabby, thanks for hopping on, and we'll see you Saturday against Ohio State, all right? Sounds good, man. You guys take care. I better hop on this plane and get back to Indy. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Deal. Safe Bye. flight. IU over Minnesota last night, as Jeff Rabjohns also alluded to. Look, Purdue, one of only five Big Ten teams since 2000 to be 19-1 and to start the season. That is how good the Boilers have been through 20 games. It's the Boilers in Michigan tonight, Marlon Jackson. Are you... Still a Michigan hoops fan. What is your Michigan basketball fandom like? Well, I, I am just a Michigan fan, period. Uh, all things Michigan, it doesn't matter what it is, I am a fan of it. But I, I would say so far this season has been underwhelming. Um, it's, it's not meeting the expectations that I think that we all came into this season with. Um, but I, my expectation is that they will continue to, to get better um, and evolve as the season goes on. Uh, this game tonight is is a big step forward in developing the confidence needed to elevate as a team and to begin to play more consistent brand of basketball. Michigan's eleven and eight, five and three in the Big Ten, right in that second tier. Again, it's that's Purdue a, and everybody else. Inconsistent right now. record, right there. Feels like. Ever since Juwan Howard went after the Wisconsin coach, Marlon, nothing's gone right. They come to they come to Indy for the Big Ten tournament. Juwan Howard's first game back from suspension. They have a double-digit lead in the second half against an IU team that, again, the story was, oh, here we go again, missing another NCAA tournament. And then IU plays with its back against the wall, the best half of basketball of its season. Juwan Howard loses that game, and now it's spilled into this season with a Michigan team that, again, no one else in the Big Ten is ranked right now outside of number one Purdue. Yeah. It is, we've never said that in recent memory, but it remains to be seen who the second best team is. Yeah. Because I, there's I, no clear cut second best team right now. There's a lot of soul searching, right? A, a lot of these teams have not been able to establish or identify their own identity, right? And, and be able to put that together consistently and play. A, a great brand of team basketball, you, you know, the passing, the cutting, the uh, efficiency on offense, the rebounding, you know, there there's so many facets that come into play when being a quality basketball team. And I, I can speak for Michigan. We, we just have not seen it consistently. You may see flashes of it and you, you see, you know, a, a high level of talent, but getting that talent to mesh together and play good basketball is one thing versus just having a talented roster. And, you know, that's something where you may look at Purdue. They may not have the most talented roster. They have talent. But what, is this a more talented roster than what they had last year with Jaden Ivey? The answer to that would be no on paper. But but they're playing better because they're playing a consistent brand of basketball that is team oriented and they have an identity right you know when with the, the big guy in the post Edie we all know that it all runs through him right and you know everybody's bought into that where some other teams may be soul searching and not understanding you know who's our focal point on offense and who does this offense run through and then how do we get on the same page def- defensively right right so that we can get stops look I love that Jeff Rabjohns pointed out how fun is it to guard Purdue 
if the first three screens don't work on the first look, they're going to reset and continue to set eight, nine screens of possession. That's, that's frustrating. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you have and a 7-4 Cyclops down low who is undefendable. He can shoot free throws. It's it's, it's a tough. torture chamber. It's, it's a torture chamber. It's tough. And, and that's why they're getting the production that they are right now and they're winning basketball games and they're dominating and they're the best team in the country. And right now, everybody else in the Big Ten is chasing the Purdue Boilermakers. That is fact right now. Purdue, again, with a win tonight at Michigan, the Boilers would have wins on the road at Michigan, at Michigan State, and at Ohio State in the same season for the first time since 1998. The Pacers last night, it was a battle of rookies. Benedict Mather and Paolo Bencaro, Magic 46 first quarter points, led by 17 after one. Pacers got it back to within five at halftime, and they were down 11 again in the fourth. They got it back within as close as five. Tonight, the all-star starters are named. Tyrese Halliburton is on the cut line on that point guard spot, missing the last two weeks. Feels like we'll leave him on the outside looking in, Marlin. Uh, Regardless... This Pacer team now coming back to see the Milwaukee Bucks likely with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton on Friday. And the wait for Halliburton to return continues. Rick Carlisle does not need to be asked what Tyrese Halliburton means to this team. Because we can all see it. Because we can all see it. (laughs) We can all see it. Who's going to step up? You're right. right. And that's been Benedict Matherin. He's been in... He's been in winning mode. Now three consecutive games with at least 20 points, only the second time he's done it this rookie season. Far and away the leader in bench points this season. I'm sorry, the debate is going to become, does he still need to come off the bench? Because your first quarters have been so bad. Can you afford for him and that offense to be sitting there as you're watching these games, now two consecutive nights, Big double-digit deficits early, right off the jump. I'm talking five minutes into the game, and you're looking up at 17 to three. It's 15 to five. And I didn't see the start of the game, but with with Halliburton out, he was still coming off of the bench. Originally, when the injury happened, he started a few games. They didn't win them. They went back. Um, you know, they've only beaten the Bulls since he's gone down. But now it's really that over the last two games, it's been the atrocious starts that have yeah. held them up late in games they've they've won the second third and fourth quarter the last two nights well the thing is you just as a fan you just want to see them mix it up why right? we, we we see that we're getting the same result right so how can we come out and continue to put the same lineup on the floor and right benedict matherin is not in the lineup right so now i think you have to start to collect some data points well if we switch things up and we insert him into the lineup, what does that do, right? But you you have to figure it up in this trial and error, right? You, 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 only, you only understand what works best if you're able to make adjustments. And what we're stating here is that things have not been working and you're getting off to a slow start. So then as a fan base, we're watching and we're observing and we're wondering what's going to be the next move. Right. And as a fan base, we, we have to be patient and understand that but we have to see some moves being made. And that's, that would be my challenge to the coaching staff is to what is the next move? What are we going to do to find a solution to rectify these slow starts? That's the million-dollar question right now. Rick Carlisle last night, again, 
slow start, his thoughts on what went right from that point forward and ultimately where this team is currently at now heading back home for a game on Friday night against one of the teams to beat in the Milwaukee Bucks. The second night of the back-to-back is not an excuse because we've been good all year in those situations. So we just gotta we just gotta be better. Um, I thought we could play through it. Maybe maybe should have got a timeout sooner. You know that's on me if that's the case. But um, there's no questioning the fight in this team. Second, third, and fourth quarters were were really really good, really solid. It just you know you give up 46 in the first quarter. It's you know it's almost like you got to hit a play a perfect game from there. So it's very difficult. We'll continue to monitor that situation. Stephen Holder joining us in just about five minutes. The Colts coaching search, Jeff Saturday. Check it off. Second interview. Who's coming next? And also the offensive names that are still coaching this weekend that appear to be still very much in the mix here as this saga continues. Also, the eye-popping number about how many candidates the Colts have interviewed and how many candidates... The other openings in the NFL have brought in. That story's next on The Fan. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Let's roll. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson here with you this afternoon. It is time to get more details on what is going on at the Colts Complex. Round two of the search. Here's who's... Bounced in round one, the round of 64. That's what it felt like. It was 13 interviews, 14 requests. D'Amico Ryan, still the one candidate the Colts would like to speak to that they aren't going to be able to for a little while if the Niners win. Steven's going to explain why next. The names that were bounced, Rich Basaccia, special teams coordinator in Green Bay, Bubba Ventrone, special teams coordinator here. Ben Johnson took himself out of the running, OC in Detroit. Mike Kafka, Giants OC, he's still in the running for some other spots. It doesn't appear that he's advanced on in Indianapolis. Wink Martindale, Giants defensive coordinator, has never been a head coach. Doesn't look like that's going to happen at this juncture. Aaron Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator in Detroit, also not moving on. That brings us to Stephen Holder, ESPN on the mower shop from hot from Fisher's Hotline. Mower shop, all your snowblowers, commercial needs, head to the mowershop.com. Stephen, thanks for joining myself and Marlon this afternoon. We're trying to sort out round two as it begins with a conversation with Jeff Saturday. Forecast for me round two through championship weekend. What do you think we'll know by this time next week that we don't know right now? Yeah, I think there could be uh, some additional details that, that leak out by this time next week because I think we'll be well into that second round of interviews. I don't anticipate it being done in the next few days. I, I was told that you should expect it to, to take into next week, uh, perhaps even late in the week. So I, I don't know that they'll be done by the following weekend. Like I don't know that they'll have a decision, but I think the, the interviews being in person and presumably being more extensive, I, I think there's a lot more to learn and so if we start to hear some of those details that emerge, we could get a, a better picture of what's happening. Um, I, I would also say the number that we keep hearing and has been reported 
by some of my colleagues as well at ESPN is seven mm-hmm. finalists. And I, I don't know if we know all seven yet. So I'm interested to see if they, in fact, go with that number. If that number holds up. So Jeff Saturday certainly in confirmation yeah. that Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris, two defensive coordinators in, that's three. It appears Ejero Averro, defensive coordinator in Denver, may have advanced on. That would be four. That leaves some offensive names that are clearly yeah. absent from this list. Would your assumption be the missing three then would be Shane Steichen, offensive coordinator Philadelphia, Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator Cincinnati, Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator Kansas City. Would that be fact or fiction in your mind right now, Stephen? I can't say if it's fact or fiction, but right. it, <laughs> Sorry. it stands to reason, though, because yeah. they are still alive in the playoffs. So I think we will find out whether they're, what their availability is here in the next uh, couple of days, right, when the games take place. So I, I do think the teams that are still in play, the fact that the Colts have – have talked to candidates from from a lot of those teams. I think three of the four teams uh, that tells us that that it's probably still fluid with those particular individuals. If they lose, they're immediately available to them, right? Right. If they if they win, uh, they also have a window as well. That window you mentioned, D'Amico Ryan's. That window for the Colts to talk to him if the Niners win. Niners defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryan's. If the Niners win, that that window where they can speak to a, a candidate from the Super Bowl teams is not available for the Colts because it's only applicable if it's a follow-up interview. The Colts never got that initial interview with Ryan's. They would have to wait until after the Super Bowl if the Niners advance, which is rough. That is some award-winning digging into the yes, NFL yes. rule book from Stephen Holder, ESPN, Listen, Indianapolis. It took time. Trust me, it took some time. I'm sure, I'm sure it did. Steve, hey, Marlon Jackson here. Hey, and as you, you've, you've been tracking um, this process since it started and you continue to engage with the team, what exactly are they looking for in a head coach? Yeah, it, it is interesting because I think the fans think of this, and this is not necessarily wrong, but I, I just want to make the distinction. The fans often think of this in terms of profiles, in terms of football, defensive guy, offensive guy, et cetera, right? Or has been a head coach or hasn't been a head coach. And if you look at the list the Colts put together, they got all the bases covered, okay? (laughs) The initial list, at least. Like, they had every possible profile, which tells me they're not worried about that. And and I think the list of finalists that we already know tells us they don't necessarily mind if it's not an offensive coach. I mean, they've got a whole lot of defense on that list, right? So I, I do think for them it's less about that and and more about trying to find the right fit. Look, leadership has been their big buzzword. There's no question about that. Now, your definition of, of leadership or, or what you think is important when it comes to leadership, that can vary from person to person, right? And and there are a number of people in that room who are conducting these interviews, but but that has been the big buzzword I keep hearing. Now, I think if you look at this list, the ones that we know of, at least, you know, you could certainly make a case for leadership in every respect, I think, for all of those individuals. Uh, the key for me, though, is going to be also what's the vision, you know, because I think you don't get to this level of coaching without having leadership capacity. So they're going to have that in most cases. But what is the vision and what is your ability to actually see it through? 
You know, what's your plan? And you, I think they need to have a very well-articulated plan. And I think that is, that's why these interviews have been so thorough uh, because they are really, really looking for, I think, a lot of details in, in terms of the plan. Stephen Holder is here on the Mower Shop from Fisher's Hotline. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson. Stephen, that brings us to the crux of this conversation. Which will outweigh the other, leadership or vision? Because, in my opinion, no one is going to convince Jim Ursay that Jeff Saturday isn't the leader in his eyes. I don't think that will be repealed at this point of the process. It would have happened by now. Give him the courtesy first interview. Jeff, thank you. It didn't work out. I'm sorry for putting you in this situation. Move on. No, no, no. Jeff Saturday has moved on, and he's garnered arguably the first the first second interview in this process. How would the leadership outweigh vision when you know you have to take a quarterback in April? You have to find a way that this quarterback isn't broken eight weeks into next season when it appears very likely that barring some, some bad play in training camp, he could be slated to be the week one starter how would you argue that leadership's more important than vision of what you're going to do at quarterback? I, I think you make a great point. Uh, listen, I just mentioned, right, that, that they're all going to be able to, to communicate their ability to, to lead, right, because they've been very successful in, in, their, in their careers. I mean, Jeff being the exception because he, has, he doesn't have a long coaching career, right? But the point is, I think you're right. The vision is important and, and, and as much specifics as possible because, look, there are going to be some daunting situations here. This team is at a really pivotal moment in its future. Uh, the Colts have to figure out, are they going to be a team that's – whether you think they're starting over or whether you think they can retool this thing and get back into contention for something, the division or whatever, what, whatever you think, all right, this is a very pivotal time. And, and – and, they have to make some, some inroads, whatever route they go. They have to make some inroads because there's not a lot of faith from the fan base right now that they're headed in the right direction. And a lot of what happens in the coming weeks and months, I think, will dictate that. But you've, it's one thing to draft a quarterback. It's one thing to get the coach hired. All right, now what, right? It's like you said. And you've got to be able to get people to buy into whatever your vision is, which is also a difficult thing. Uh, I will say this. I, I do like that they are not rushing into this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, that's something that's important because I will tell you, last time in 2018, that coaching search, even though they did, a, a, they did interview an array of candidates, it appears to me, and I have always believed, that they were stuck on Josh McDaniels too early. Mm-hmm. And I think – that we all know how that worked out. And had they maybe taken a broader approach, maybe that would not have happened. So let me also ask, so how much weight does experience have in all of this as well? You, you mentioned the lack of faith that the fan base has currently. So can it going forward, can everything totally be based upon vision? How much weight does experience have to kind of balance out that vision? I think it's almost like when you're evaluating players, right? So, when we talk about the draft, for example, I'm getting to a point here, so bear with me. <laughs> when you talk about a player in the draft, you, you talk about a guy, okay, he's got, he's got the size, he, he's got the stats, uh, but, you know, there's a, there's a little issue. His 40 times a little on the slow side. I'm a little worried about that, right? But can, you, can his other attributes outweigh that? Maybe, right? And sometimes they do. So the other thing 
when you apply that in this particular case, that's how I think – that's kind of how I look at it, right? So if you've got a guy, a coaching candidate, who, who doesn't have maybe the, the, the past head coaching experience, for example, but what does he have, right? What, what can he bring to the table? Maybe it's his ability to put together a great staff. Maybe it's the way he connects with players and the way he has developed – players in very specific situations and he can demonstrate that you know those are the things that I think you look at and that's why it's it's important to go back to what I just said which is you know don't go into this thing with preconceived notions you know mm-hmm. I think if you go into it it may be too late though Stephen. it may be well, too well, late I, I think well, in society there's a lot of preconceived <laughs> notions right now amongst I, the fan base I think we all know that it may be far too late yeah. Listen, here's, here's what I'd say on that. I get it. Trust me. Trust me. I get it. And I don't disagree. I think this is going to tell us what, what happens here in the next couple of weeks. It's going to tell us whether Chris Ballard can execute whatever. Talk about vision. Well, what, Chris Ballard says he has a vision for how to get this thing back on track. Well, we're going to find out, I think, whether he's truly going to be able to execute that vision. Because... Lord knows, right? This is a, a critical time for him, too. And he's got to press the right buttons. But is he going to be allowed to press the buttons that he wants to press? That is going to yes. be, I think, the question here. So, uh, listen, there's no question in my mind that, <laughs> that he and the rest of the front office are taking a very, very, very open-minded approach to this. Now, Jim Mercy was not involved in the first round of interviews. Uh, that was conducted yeah. by Ballard and of them. other members of the front office. That's correct. So he will be in, involved, I presume, in the second round. Well, and that that's kind of a segue to the next question that I had that was the thought was sparked in terms of do you have any insight into the process of, of what's going on behind the scene? And you spoke a little bit to it now. We're saying that Mr. Ursay was not involved in the first round. But as we move into the second round, do you have any idea who the decision makers are that are at the table when things are being analyzed? Yeah, so I can share a little bit on that. I think what you'll see, well, two things. Number one, the first round was was a virtual round of interviews. So I think that in itself makes it a little more impersonal, mm-hmm. you know, and you and you can't get as deep, obviously, right? They were also shorter, I assume, because they were stacked on top of each other because they were going back to back to back, as you know. You know, they were doing three interviews in, in one day in some cases, right? So. So I would imagine they were not as thorough in those particular interviews. I think when you come in in person, it's going to be certainly more on a on a personal level. Uh, you can connect more and you can get more thorough. Uh, you did have in the first round, my understanding, you had Carly Ursay very involved in that round, uh, Kalen Ursay as well, and so that's I think a, a very interesting development. You know, them truly digging into this process. And, you know, will they have any influence on their father? I don't know. But but certainly they're in the room and and they they're they, they're not there just to be bystanders, you would presume. Right. So it will be interesting to see how this goes and, and who who kind of drives this. I think Chris Ballard has driven the process so far. That's pretty clear and from the list and just the, the way it's been conducted. But. Uh, we'll see. The second round, I think, is it has a chance to be very different. So we will see. Stephen Holder, Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford, gentlemen, if Chris Ballard's recommendation is trumped again, this internally will have to feel for Ballard like survivor general manager. How long can you stay on the island 
How long can your willpower hold up where you are constantly being overrode on quarterback decisions, on head coaching changes, on who knows what it actually looks like from a personnel acquisition standpoint? It would make you wonder just what is the next chapter for the Colts general manager who told you himself two weeks ago, this is on me. I failed. I've failed a lot of people. But certainly when you look back at quarterback situations and now into the coaching carousel, you have to have some sort of empathy for someone who who has not been given many good breaks. Let's close with this, Stephen Holder and Marlon Jackson. Considering what we know from the odds makers right now, Jeff Saturday, the clear front runner to move into the permanent head coaching seat in Indianapolis. Who do you believe right now is the most viable candidate to contend and to change Jim Irsay's mind in terms of this decision in Indy? Stephen, who would that be? I think there's two. there are two candidates for me who I think uh, can be very, very dynamic in, in, their, in the interview process. And it's, it's Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris. I don't know what's going on with Dan Quinn's other opportunities. He has he has other interested suitors as well. So right. we'll see what happens there. Raheem Morris, and I have a long history with him, covered him in Tampa Bay. He was not ready. That was a terrible job. <laughs> okay, He did not <laughs> perform well as head coach in Tampa Bay. That is not in dispute. Even he would tell you that. Now, I do think, though, he has the ability, to, a really rare ability to command a room and to communicate. That's his biggest strength, I feel. And and I think that will allow him to really communicate his vision. He does, it appears, uh, he did appear to, to make a real impression on them in the first round from what I've heard. So uh, he's a guy to watch. I think Dan Quinn also a guy to watch. And does Raheem Morris remind you at all of Mike Tomlin? Is there any similarities that you may see there having covered both of, both of them? Well, g- great question because yeah. – in fact, Mike Tomlin was on that staff in Tampa Bay. They overlapped for a couple of years, and they were joined at the hip, okay, joined at the hip. And I think, in fact, he has modeled himself after Mike Tomlin, I think, quite a bit over the years. Their styles are a little different, but, but certainly in terms of, like, teaching the game and, and the details of the game and communicating those things, I think they have that quality in common. And now uh, – what what Tomlin had was the ability to, I think, be well beyond his years. For Morris, that took a little longer. But I think now he's at that place. He's a completely different guy. And I'm, I'm telling you, I think Sean Mc, being on Sean McVay's staff as well, which has been, I think, the preeminent coaching staff in the last few years, that has been a huge boon for him as well. So I, I think he really is a different guy than he was uh, over 10 years ago as a head coach. Appreciate the perspective from Stephen Holder of ESPN. Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford with you, Stephen. We're definitely looking forward to catching up here as this search continues. Again, going on two-plus weeks, 13 candidates. The next closest team with an opening in terms of candidates interviewed would be nine with the Carolina Panthers. So there is a significant gap in the thorough workings behind the scenes from this organization. Will that ultimately get you excited about next season? That that (laughs) remains to be seen. Steven, have a great weekend, all right? Okay, guys. Take care. You too. Thanks. Always enjoy catching up with Steven Holder of ESPN. We need to get to our answers on this, Marlon Jackson. Who do you believe 
is the name that will contend. I've hinted at it earlier in the show. I truly believe Brian Callahan. Yeah. <laughs> he's worked with Derek Carr and found success. Carr had his best season in the NFL with Brian Callahan. Um, he's he's worked with uh, previously Matt Stafford in Detroit before Stafford left for Los Angeles. Those offenses, those passing attacks were never the problem in Detroit. Granted, you had one of the top five receivers of all time, Calvin Johnson, at your disposal. Brian Callahan now has called plays for four years in Cincinnati. He has taken a team that was nowhere and put them at the top of the best conference in football with a 3-0 record in clutch moments against Patrick Mahomes. Brian Callahan, to me, is the name that would contend on paper. Does he have the leadership qualities? We've gotten into that. What should outweigh one or the other? I just cannot believe that you're going to say he's the best rah-rah guy. He's the guy who makes you want to run through a wall. You've tried that with Jeff Saturday to close this season, and it made no difference. In fact, it well, got worse. That's the reason why I asked Stephen the question I did in terms of like what holds the most weight in, in terms uh, is it vision is it leadership or is it experience? And obviously it's a combination of those three things, but with the current circumstance that the Colts find themselves within, I would have to say for me, ex- experience matters. And the type of experience, the type of experience that where I have a history of working with young quarterbacks and being successful. I have a history of rebuilding offensive line, and doing a great job of now, through that rebuild, protecting my quarterback. I have a history of of winning. I've, I've gone to the AFC Championship game now twice. I've gone to a Super Bowl. So when when I you know analyze all those factors and I and I look at that and I and you brought a lot of these things to my attention today, I'm like that makes sense. Like that should be a finalist. And all dependent upon the vision that he has and the other unknown factor of his leadership and command of the locker room, which I believe I've seen some things on social media from Bengals players reiterating and stating how much of a leader he is. Does he have a cigar in his mouth with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow after every playoff win? Is that what you're alluding to? It looks like arguably the most fun locker room in the NFL. Right, and and that that is a guy in terms of today's NFL and sports. Period, like players like to play for coaches that are relate, relatable, that that understand um, that they can loosen up, they can be themselves, they can have fun, um, and the culture in Cincinnati is one of fun, of looseness, of winning. Well said. Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford on the other side of the break on the fan. The the Kansas City Chiefs coach, okay, who's now gone to nine consecutive AFC playoff games. Plus, do you know about the NBA scene last night in Philadelphia that will go down as the most hostile environment in the league this year? We're waiting for IU-Purdue next Saturday. This will be an early taste of it at the NBA level. Those stories are next. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. We have breaking news in the drivehubler.com studio. This is Charlie Clifford alongside Marlon Jackson. Frank Reich has been hired as the next head coach of the Carolina, Carolina Panthers. Panthers. Let's go, Frank. 
This news courtesy of Tom Pelissero, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. It literally just broke one moment ago. Marlon Jackson, Frank Reich, the first quarterback in franchise history as the expansion franchise arrived in Carolina. He has spent his time since being fired by Jim Irsay in Indianapolis in the state of North Carolina. He his his grandkids are there. Uh, this is a place that felt like, without a question, Frank Reich's top priority. This job, this time. Your thoughts on if it makes sense for everyone out there if you're a Carolina Panthers fan? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say it makes sense. Uh, but even bigger than the football aspect of it it's it's the the individual the man that Frank Reich is you you love to see him we'll say land on his feet with another opportunity um, he was definitely deserving of another shot to be a head coach in the National Football League he brings so much to the table um, as a leader um, with the schematics you know not always appreciated for play calling here things didn't finish well um, but it was time for a fresh start on, on all ends by both parties. And it's great to now see him land on his feet with another opportunity as we all here back in Indy continue to track it and see what direction the coach organization is going to go in. But happy for Frank. I think the, the Carolina Panthers have a great coach um, and they're in a great position to move forward for the future of that organization. Frank Reich not sitting on the sidelines, certainly. Not collecting a check. Some revenge <laughs> in the Reich household right now as the news will begin to trickle out across the NFL world. Frank Reich's the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. No OC, no sitting away watching the league next year. Reich is back in the game already. We are moving the ball back to the other side of the wing. Purdue, the number one team in the country, heading to Michigan tonight. There is no better person to give us his forecast of this game than Spike Albrecht, who's on the Mower Shop hotline from Fisher. Spike, what in the world is going on? Many fans on both sides of this rivalry want to know what's going on in your life. <laughs> Confusion so today. Confusion. For, Where are you? For Spike. What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Doing yeah. great. Thank you for coming on. Again, I... The, the number one thought that popped in mind in Marlon Jackson's head, and remember, Marlon Jackson, a proud Michigan Wolverine himself, we got to get Spike on the yes, show sir. for this game. So thank you. No, for sure. I appreciate you guys. I'm excited to be here. What's going on in your world before we get to the game? What's happening for the, the Crown Point native that we all love to watch across the Big Ten? Nothing, man. I'm uh, I'm back in CP. I'm doing some basketball training. Um, I was at Purdue last year as a grad assistant, but uh, I got out of the the coaching world. That's just a tough biz, man. I got a lot of respect for those guys. They they grind and sacrifice and dedicate a lot of time to it. Um, but I'm just back in the corporate world here in Crown Point, Indiana, doing my thing. Spike, we're wishing you all the best there. And I know, look, you grinded it as a player. We all remember the Natty, the 17-point first half, Louisville. That that game in your mind, what's the first memory you have of that night? I can remember where I was watching that game and just the bar erupting as Spike Albrecht took over the country. Um, Honestly... The thing that sticks out is I remember sitting on the bench and I remember Trey Burton getting his second foul. 
And uh, I was sitting between between my two buddies, Matt Bogridge and Blake McClymans. We always sat in the same spot on the bench. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, holy crap. Like, I'm about to get called in and play a lot of minutes here. So, like, <laughs> this, this, this could go, like, one of two ways. It could go really good or really bad. So I'll ask, what, what prepared you for that moment to have you equipped to be able to step in in that moment and to be able to deliver? Yeah, I, I think honestly, like my whole life, like I was I was always an underdog and always somebody that, you know, people looked at and didn't think, you know, I could play at that level. So I had a I had to work extremely hard to get to where I was. Like I'm not someone who could just kind of cruise through a practice and just coast based off of my, my size and my talent. So um, I worked really hard every day, you know, that year. And then when I'm going against the National Player of the Year, Trey Burke, every day in practice, like <laughs> there was there was nobody that was going to be in front of me that I was that I was scared of or that I thought like, oh, man, I can't play against this guy. I was going against Trey every day. So I think, you know, that entire year just prepared me for that moment. Former Purdue Boilermaker, Michigan Wolverine, Spike Albrecht's on with us here on the fan. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson. Spike, the reason I start with that 2012-2013 Michigan runner-up team, that was one of five teams to start 19-1 and in the Big Ten since 2000. Yeah. Purdue this year has now joined that club to be the fifth team. When you look at the amount of NBA talent on that team, I believe there were six guys that eventually went on to play in the league from John Beeline's club that, that year. And you look at Matt Painter's team, a team that came in this year unranked. How have you sat back and watched what's transpired in West Lafayette this season? Yeah, you know, I I try to watch almost every game, um, and it's pretty incredible, man. Like, Payne's done an unbelievable job. I remember telling some you know, telling some of my buddies early in the season. And I was like, hey, if, if Purdue finishes, you know, top half of the Big Ten, I think that'd be a great year, you know. Like, just getting into the NCAA tournament, maybe winning a game. And obviously, I, I turned out to be dead wrong. Um, but that's just, you know, that, that's an it's in a, you know, it's credit to Coach Payton and the staff and then those guys. You know, obviously, it helps. You got a guy like Zach Eady who's just absolutely dominant. Um, but then those two freshman guards have have been incredible. And to be honest, I didn't expect them to be that good this early. So that's been huge. The last Big Ten team to be ranked number one twice in a season. You got to go back to a 2013 Indiana team that Spike Albrecht certainly played against. Spike, tonight at Michigan. Do you cheer for both? Do you have the split jersey on? Do you mute the phone? That was the question (laughs) that I had in my mind with this predicament. Is it boiler up? Is it go blue? You know what? It's it's a little bit of both. You're not gonna like that answer. (laughs) Come on. You know, I try to keep it keep it PC when it comes to this game, and I typically just end up betting the over, whatever that may be. So I can cheer for both teams and Hopefully we score lots of points. Marlon, I'm waiting for your rebuttal here, man. You no, you got a wolf that's, I, look, I, that's I, lingering I, back home but here. But I, I respect that, right? You know, first and yeah. foremost, he's a Hoosier, yeah. right? You know, so so I, I can get sure. the affinity there. And he spent time 
with both programs. So his heart is torn. You know, my bias doesn't matter here, <laughs> which is definitely on the Michigan end. But I, I was wondering as well, you know, you, you gave kind of your analysis or, you know, what you your perception was of Purdue coming into this season. What was your perception of the University of Michigan basketball coming into the season? And what do you think of what we see right now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think they got a lot of talent. I think it's just trying to trying to figure it out and, um, you know, put the pieces together and just, just being more consistent. You know, I feel like they've been pretty inconsistent throughout the year. Obviously, they had, they had a couple of those games early on where you know, I think it was Arizona State. They went and they went and got smacked. Um, but, like, I still think they have the pieces to, to, you know, finish top four or five in the Big Ten and, and make a run like you got a guy like Hunter Dickinson who's rock solid um they just need one or two more guys to step up whether it's you know the point guard McDaniels or Jet you know I know he's got the ankle thing going on but I'm just in preparation for this game kind of been looking back at at stats you know for Michigan the last three or four games and it's just like you know one one game you got a guy scoring you know 15.7 assists and then the next game he has like you know two or three points and it's just I don't think they're they're good enough and deep enough to have that sort of imbalance. Like they need those guys to be more consistent and, and, and be more rock solid on a on a game to game basis if they wanna, you know, win games in the Big Ten. Two time team captain NCA final four team finalist in terms of the all tournament team in twenty thirteen. This is Spike Albrecht you're listening to on the fan, Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson. All right, Spike, we we tried to pressure you and who you're pulling for for Purdue or Michigan tonight. Forecast for me. You've been on a team that's nearly gotten to the mountaintop, that lost to Louisville, as we alluded to at the start of this interview. Is this Matt Painter's team that will get Coach Painter over the hump to a Final Four? They're one of three teams in America with one loss. They're now ranked atop the country again. They've shot more foul shots in terms of the margin, they're, they're getting to the line. They have the post presence. The million-dollar question is, is this the team? Where do you where do you see that this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is definitely a team that's capable of doing it. You know, the NCAA tournament's crazy. Like, anything can happen. Um, so I think a lot depends on the matchups, you know, their draw and stuff like that. And also, you talked about foul shooting, like officiating. Purdue relies on getting to the foul line. You know, Zach Eady gets dudes in foul trouble, and he shoots a lot of, you know, they shoot a lot of free throws. But, like, you know, if he gets in foul trouble one of these games, if you get, you know, officiating crew who, you know, calls some ticky-tack stuff early on, like that could change the entire game. Right. And that stuff happens in the NCAA tournament, as you guys know. Um, but I definitely think this is a team that could do it. You know, I, I think I love Braden Smith. I'm a huge fan. Like, he's rock solid. I think if we had him on our team last year at Purdue, we would have been in the Final Four. Wow. Um like, so, I mean, just having that, having a great point guard who takes care of the ball, just an unbelievable passer, and then a guy like Zach Eady who just, I mean, his numbers and what he's been doing this year are sick. And then they got great pieces around him that support him, you know, Fletcher, Ethan Morton, Mason Gillis, Caleb Purse, like all those guys, like they're deep and they got dudes who all they care about is Purdue winning. And I think when you got, you know, pieces like that, you got a chance. So you never know. Things can happen in the tournament, but I definitely think they're good enough to make it to the Final Four. It's a beautiful equation. With a win tonight, Purdue would have wins at Michigan, at Michigan State, 
and at Ohio State in the same season for the first time since 1998. Spike, do you have a go-to Matt Painter story when people pull up a bar stool next to you say, hey, tell me about the coach you played for and also served under as a grad assistant? Everyone has a favorite paint story. Do you have one you can share with Indy this afternoon? Oh, man. Um, shoot, there's a lot of great <laughs> great Coach Bader stories, but I'm not sure they're radio appropriate. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's funny as hell. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. So love him to death. Just a cool, a cool Matt Painter story just about him as a person. So for people listening to understand how good of a dude this, this guy is, uh, I worked there last year at, on staff as a, as a grad assistant. And, I mean, the basketball season six, seven months long. Coach Paint buys lunch for the entire staff every single day. No way. Swear to God. Now that's – and I was I was the one going getting the orders along with Tommy Luce. So, <laughs> um, Luce! Which is cool. I was, yeah, T. Luce. I was a little Aaron boy. But, like, I mean, that's just Coach Paint, like – you know, obviously he's at the top of the mountain. He's making a ton of money. But, like, to take care of, I mean, eight to ten other grown men every day, I was starting to feel guilty. I was like, Coach Payne, I could pay for my own lunch. But, like, he, uh, that's just the type of person he is, man. He, like, really takes care of his own, and uh, he's just a pleasure to be around. I got a ton of respect for him. Spike Albrecht, pleasure to have you on. All the best going forward with the coaching stuff. Please give Spike a follow on Twitter. And look, we're gonna be we're gonna be waiting to see your uh, your post game thoughts tonight, Spike. I know it's gonna be a late yeah. one with a nine o'clock tip, but uh, Marlon, you got anything more for Mister? No, I was as here. I was sitting here li- listening yes. and thinking of Spike. I, I was wondering, the team that wins tonight does what? Fill in the blank. There we go. What do you need to get it done? Ooh, um, I mean, I I think whoever wins the matchup between uh. You know, Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady. I think that's going to be huge, you know. Um, Michigan's a tough place to play. I was talking to, to P.J. Thompson, who's a player development guy at Purdue. Purdue's 1-7 in their last eight games at Michigan. So wow. I think it's going to be the battle of the bigs tonight, and whoever wins that matchup, I think, gets the dub. Sorry to all the point guards. You're just going to be dumping it in <laughs> and waiting to see what happens. Spike Albrecht on the Motor Shop Hotline. Spike all the best going forward, and we definitely would love to stay in touch with you as this season continues. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. You guys have a good one. That is Spike Albrecht. Uh, again, changed teams in the Big Ten, beloved by not one but two fan bases, that's, that's Marlon awesome. Jackson. That's hard to do. Uh, we're back to the big news in the NFL world. Frank Reich, if you're just joining us here on The Fan, is the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Carolina had Steve Wilkes, Marlon Jackson, who came in midseason. Matt Rule was relieved of his duties. The former collegiate coach at Baylor, his first head coaching gig in Carolina did not go well. A multi-year run, no playoff success, a carousel of quarterbacks Quarterbacks. here this year. (laughs) Steve Wilkes gets passed over. He was 6-6 as the interim head coach. It was a bad division, but he had the Panthers – in the mix until the final two weeks. Yeah. He had won over the locker room. He had put six wins on his resume, and he is passed over. And Jeff Saturday, now in Indianapolis, still vying as a top candidate with one win. The optics don't look good. 
when you you you, you lay it out so nicely. <laughs> and Frank Reich's in the middle of this story. You, you, I don't know, coincidentally, you, like, you, you lay it out so nice and neat, and you're like, hmm, yeah. That does that. No, that doesn't look very, very good. Not not for any one organization, but for the NFL overall, right? You know, just in terms of the hiring practices and the, the Rooney Rule and all of these things. You're absolutely right about that, Marlon oppor- Jackson. Opportunity. I could, you know, picking up what you're putting down. Uh, you know, so yeah, all of those things come into are factored in. But the thing is that we never know truly what's the ultimate factors that determine the decisions that are made by the owners. You know, was there a lack of comfort with the individual and who they were and the lack of a relationship? Because like most things in life, relationships matter. Relationships are key Mm -hmm. to securing opportunities. So not sure what the determining factors were that led to Steve Wilkes not getting an opportunity with everything that you laid out, all the evidence to state the case for Steve Wilkes, but still not given an opportunity. I can't argue with Frank Reich being brought in as a new head coach, right? He's, I think it's a slam dunk. It's it's a slam dunk for, that organization. for your organization. It's a slam dunk for Frank Reich as well. Rebounding uh, after a tumultuous split <laughs> between the coach and himself and to find himself where in a place, a state where he has family already there, um, a, a great organization, still some gaps a lot of uncertainty at quarterback there as well, so he will have some things to get right um, in, that, in that area. But another opportunity is another opportunity, and it's a chance to rebound and do things differently. To me, this is very simple. Steve Wilkes' defensive background, specifically secondary. He's coached ahead. He's been a head coach before. Arizona Cardinals, people forget one year. what It didn't go well, and he was let go. So you can't say, oh, he just didn't check the head coaching box. That's what Frank Wright checked. This is an organization that has a plan. They know a young quarterback. Again, they're sitting three slots back of the Indianapolis Colts in the first round. They know a quarterback's coming. They need a mind to make that player the best possible player on this planet that he can be. And Frank Reich won out because of that. I, I truly believe that his track record, throw out this season in Indianapolis, throw out the letdown late last season with Carson Wentz, who now has proven to again be inefficient in Washington. Frank Reich's track record with Nick Foles, Phillip Rivers, Andrew Luck, albeit a season, Phillip Rivers again, that stuck out in Carolina. And they've made their plan clear now to the world that they know they need a player and that player to be the best possible best possible quarterback and they're going to go find out and so now they have now they have the chance to do it do the Colts need to take that same approach we know <laughs> that it's the quarterback position i right? think they do i i i have felt that way since day one of this search that it needs to be the best possible offensive mind for that quarterback and everything else is secondary now, if for whatever reason you believe that you can pair Jeff Saturday or defensive coordinator with a young mind that can answer all those questions, if you can find some wonderkin out there who's a quarterbacks coach somewhere who's who's signed on as the OC if you if you hire so and so, then 
Well, if that's going to be your argument, you better be right. And then when you bring that individual in, right, because of their track record, if they're successful here, how long will they be here? Amen. Thank you. You know, that, those are all the two good years and see you later. He's the coach of the he's the coach of the, the Titans after right now. No, wherever. That is a fantastic point and a risk you run by not putting it, it is because it's, it's all about it's complimentary pieces like all the decisions that have to be made. Like we are we're, we're focusing so squarely on the head coach. Where that's just that's just one component, right? No matter who the head coach is, if it's offensive minded or defensive minded, the rest of that staff underneath them has to complement the skill set of that leader, right? So there are so many other factors that will come into play um, that we have to let everything unfold. But is that another reason why there's been so many individuals brought in? You know, once you do determine. Uh, who your candidate is, who your guy is, you're going to hire? Are you going to fall back on your Rolodex of guys <laughs> that you brought in for interview and say, hey, do you want to join up with this individual, be a part of this group, this staff? Maybe that's the reason why the numbers are so high. I don't know. Marlon Jackson's here. Charlie Clifford Parker's running this show. It's the fan. Marlon, I've made it clear, look, offensive quarterback guru – someone who can mold this quarterback, whomever it is, is top priority. How do you assess a defensive player on this roster right now, watching this play out, now knowing, again, if you're just joining us, Frank Reich is the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. If Gus Bradley is not retained to run this defense, you will have your third different coordinator in three years. This defensive unit proved, until the final two weeks of the season, they wore down. They wore down. They put it all on the line for Gus Bradley, knowing all, well, hey, forget about the turnovers, forget about the sacks, we got to play for us. And they did. And they kept the Colts in games from week one, with the exception of Jacksonville uh, in the second half in New England. If you're a defensive player watching this play out, how do you size up the coaching search? What do you want to happen if you're DeForest Buckner or Shaq Leonard? You want continuity at the coordinator position. I mean, I, I think that's what matters the most for the defensive guys. The scheme, the coach, who is it going to be? What are they going to bring to the table? Because I, even with this season, I felt, and listening to some of the interviews, there was a little bit tension between the defensive players and the coordinator and the scheme that they were playing. Where I don't I don't think that everybody was happy with the rush for play coverage, right? Where Ibrafus would mix it up from time to time. There were, there was a lot of zone, but they would also blitz. You saw Kenny Moore blitz a lot more underneath Ibrafus. And as a defensive player, I'm wondering is it is going to be a new scheme that I have to learn this off season? How is my skill set going to fit within that scheme? Those are the things that literally come to your mind. And I've been there firsthand with Larry Corrier coming in, um, taking over, where we were primarily a cover two defense and we were transitioning to cover four and more blitzing. And guys had to understand, well, you had to learn, how do I fit within this new scheme? What strengths do I bring physically that will fit within the schematics of this defense. But those are all 
things that are a part of your thought process as a defensive player. Who's the coach going to be? What's their scheme going to be? And how do I fit within that scheme? Gus Bradley's scheme, good enough to bring back next year? If if you're on this defense, does your gut say, hey, we were good enough. Just please hire some offensive oh, guy. I, I think everybody's comfortable with familiarity. Like if if we have a rapport, we've worked together, I understand the calls that you're going to make. I understand with expectations. Exactly. We have something to build off of. And who knows what height we can reach now with a year under our belt together. But you essentially throw away the plan and start over again if you bring in somebody new. This defense is going to look different. If you're going to move up with the Bears for that first pick, Matt Eberflus is going to want some of the players on defense that he already knows are elite playmakers to come with in that trade. So that I want to put that out there too. I would expect you can't just say, oh, well, let's run it back. You're not going to be able to do that. It's not. This isn't a situation that we want to be in as an organization, the Colts, but it's exciting from an observer. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's exciting because it just it's it's new like new is exciting and uncertainty sometimes can be unsi- exciting this is this uncertainty you're a psycho me, man you get a- <laughs> I, I like again I, I, uh, I know I know you know, you're I related to like Christmas and like the unknown and what's 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 in that box like we can't see it it's wrapped so well man. right now I want to know like well you you know that you want a quarterback Okay, who's the guy that you want? And you know that there are people behind you that want a quarterback as well. Who's going to make the bold decision to, to make a move to make a leap? The franchise that was once, along with the New England Patriots, the pillar of consistency is now the opposite. And that's ultimately the cause and effect of what has happened here the past year and a half. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson, Parker's here. When we come back, IU four straight wins. How much further can the Hoosiers take this win streak? Plus additional thoughts on what we saw in the NBA last night, not only with the Pacers and the Magic, but the game in the regular season for one of the most bitter rivalries, mano a mano. That story's next. 93.5 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson. It is 2.30 in Indianapolis, and we have news for you. If you're just joining us this afternoon, Marlon Jackson, what is the story? Frank Reich, new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Let's go, Frank. Happy for Frank Reich. How much time did you get to spend for, with Frank Reich here in Indianapolis, Marlon? Um, so there were, I mean, a number of times that, you know, I was invited in to maybe speak to the defense or just being over at the facility. And Frank was always welcoming, right? And, and that's one of the things that we, we always, we focus on the field as, as we should, but there's more than this than just what we see on the football field, the relational side of being a head coach, not just with the current roster, but the former roster mm. comes into play as well. And both Frank and Chris 
have been lights out phenomenal when it comes of times to extending an olive branch to former players and being welcoming and open to having guys around and a part of the program. You know, that's that was missing prior to. So hmm. when you had a shift in mindset and thought around culture and leaning into the past and not shying away from it, that's that's a part of the reason why you know former guys respect Frank so much, and he was also the quarterbacks coach during my playing days when right. he coached Peyton Manning. Doesn't hurt either. Look, I the number one thing I remember for Frank Reich, and look, he'll tell you it just didn't work out here. I mean, it, the results with Matt Ryan this past season, it was the final straw, and I, I think as quickly as that came for some. You know, with the what the expectations were, and Chris Ballard's going out to say we did not manage those well at all. No, <laughs> um, it was best for both parties to move on. And Frank Reich is certainly elated today to be taking over a franchise he originally quarterbacked as the first quarterback when they were an expansion franchise. Marlon, they beat Buffalo last year. It was the best regular season win of the Frank Reich era. Jonathan Taylor, a historic five touchdown day. Buffalo at that time was, if not the favorite in the AFC, right there with Kansas City. And Frank Reich strolled to the podium post game and opened with a message, basically, in summary, saying, Hey, if you're out there and you're struggling in life, like look at me as an example, look at these players as examples. If, if you keep fighting the good fight, good things are going to happen. happen. Frank Reich knew in that post game that every national feed NFL network, it was the biggest story in the NFL that day, that he was going to be live on television. And he opted to deliver that message at that time. There was no coincidence there. And the biggest moment of the, he could have said, hey, Colts fans, you know, thanks for throwing me under the bus after another slow start. You know, hey, Buffalo, remember me? I'm back. No, uh, it was about. Frank Reich trying to make a positive impact on people, and that's a story that will always stick with me. He chose to do that. Because that's who he is. He's he's a big picture guy, and big picture meaning the framework of God and not the framework of society, you know, and, and that's how he lives his life and why he's so respected is because of that. And it's like, how could you not respect that and understanding that it is about life? We can get caught up in the entertainment because mm-hmm. even this is entertainment, what we watch on Sundays and Saturdays, right? It's all entertainment, but there there's more than just the entertainment and the shock value that sometimes that we, we look for and you cheer for people outside of the the line confines of the field, and we, we also can cheer for them in life as well. I'm with you. A little self-awareness doesn't hurt everybody. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson, Parker is here as well. Frank Reich's the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Will this impact what happens in Indianapolis? The short answer to that is no. The only overlapping candidates in Carolina and Indianapolis – you really had to look at Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles, and then Denver's young up-and-coming defensive coordinator, Ijero Averro. Those were the two that had interviewed for both the jobs. It appears Steichen and Averro will move on to the second round here in Indianapolis. But this always appeared to be a two-horse race. Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach. Frank Reich, now returning to Carolina. We touched on it briefly earlier this hour, Marlon. Um, 
surprised at all it went this way to Reich in Carolina? Um, no. I mean, I think when you when you heard that he was a candidate there, you kind of could feel that it makes it makes sense. Right. You know, but at the same time, I say that, you know, you you have a guy like Steve Wilkes and what he was able to build in a short period of time um, and taking over as an interim head coach did a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. and, you know, had one over the locker room, had a solid record. Um, But again, in this business and in every business in life, when it comes to opportunities in our society is most times related to a relationship. And who's able to strike that balance and connect relationally most often is the individual that gets the job and or it's or it's simply who do you know? <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out for Steve Wilkes, but he's a guy that will find himself with other opportunities. Um, unfortunate that he didn't get it right now, but the successes that he was able to have this season will pay it forward on his resume for a future opportunity. Raheem Morris doing to Indianapolis tomorrow for a second interview. Stephen Holder joined us earlier in the 1 o'clock hour saying it appeared Jim Ursay sat very much on the sidelines for the first round of interviews. 13 candidates came through, four more than any other current opening in the NFL. And now Ursay will be very much involved in round two. Raheem Morris of the Rams, Dan Quinn of the Cowboys, two defensive minds Friday and Saturday set for interviews. This comes after Jeff Saturday got what appeared to be the first crack at a second interview here. We need to give IU proper perspective this afternoon. Jeff Rabjohns joined us during the one o'clock hour. IU now has four consecutive Big Ten regular season wins for the first time since February of 2019, you will remember when that streak ended because that was the game. Marlon Jackson, it was a win and in situation in terms of an NCAA tournament berth in the Big Ten tournament. It was an opening round game. Ohio State matched up with IU and the bracketologist made it clear. Whoever wins this game is in and whoever loses is in all likelihood out. Romeo Lankford, it was that season. The heralded freshmen had come in under Archie Miller. They stunk early. They got a little hot in the middle. They played enough winning basketball down the stretch in February to put themselves back in that right on the cut line. And then at the United Center, it all ended with a bad second half. I will never forget Romeo Langford, towel draped over his head, sitting in the IU locker room by himself, dejected. It felt like... The experiment that was the blue chip, homegrown star prospect returning to IU to be a great one and done and to be that next big NBA name. You knew in that moment that things had gone terribly wrong. And ultimately, the heat on Archie Miller only picked up from there. Now, Mike Woodson sits and hopefully as he rests up Marlon Jackson for a Saturday afternoon game against Ohio State after missing the win last night against Minnesota. When you watched that game, what did you take away from the effort that the IU team put out there without its head coach? I mean, that they're they're locked in, they're bought in, and that from hearing earlier what we heard the decisions that were made philosophically of offensive versus defensive, right? That that tells you that, that there's a a solid coaching staff and that the players are bought in to the philosophies that they're teaching 
and that they have a strong culture because your primary leader was not present, hmm. but there was no drop off in effort or energy. And, and that is what you want, right? You know, that's first and foremost. You can have talent, you can have, you know, high IQ, but effort and energy can help you win games in tough environments as they did the other night. And the ability for those coaches paired with that effort and energy to understand the direction of the game, right? When our shots, our shots aren't dropping, we're going to have to win this game defensively. For me, that was that's one of the things that stuck out to me earlier yeah. in, in listening. The in-game coaching, right, that took place was phenomenal, and for the players to be responsive, it's a throwback strategy. It's, it's a throwback strategy, and it worked. Defense over offense. Jeff Rabjohns sharing that Malik Renew, who came in, had ten points in the first half in twelve minutes. It was his best scoring effort since Thanksgiving. Again, another one of these highly touted freshmen. Instead, he's parked on the bench in the second half in favor of Race Thompson, Marlon, who just came back from a sprained MCL. But as a as a fan, those are things that we're watching. They're like, what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> right? Everybody I, at home was probably pulling their hair like the coach doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. But then when you get some 100%. more when you get some more context, you understand strategically it was a strategic move. And that it was it was probably the right move. And it worked. And that's when you have to appreciate coaching and the role that it plays in the success and winning games. Yeah, Roseman, last night post-game, his thoughts on getting it done at Minnesota. Again, the Gophers, not a good team, but they found themselves in the game late, and IU made enough plays to escape with a win. Well, Coach Walsh and Coach Kenya, they handled the substitutions. And I was just trying to coach and just trying to reiterate everything that, you know, I taught, I had a chance to talk to Coach and communicate with Coach. So, you know, we kind of game plan. We had the game plan coming in, and we just kind of stuck to the game plan. And in timeouts, I just tried to stay calm. You know, I always know as a player, I always used to look at my coach and make sure that he was calm. And when he was calm, it made us calm. So I was just trying to keep the guys calm in the huddle and just kept telling them that we're going to pull this thing out. We're going to have to pull it out defensively because our shots weren't falling. Yah Roseman stepping in, getting a win for Mike Woodson, Ohio State, who is one in seven over its past, uh, one in six, excuse me, over its past seven games, comes in to Assembly Hall on Saturday. Quick timeout on the fan. Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford, Parker is here. Yes, the Colts play the Carolina Panthers next year. And yes, that game will be a trip to Carolina to see head coach Frank Reich and the Carolina Panthers. More on the breaking news after the break. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. What's happening? Charlie Clifford with you. Marlon Jackson as well. Parker sitting in the command seat. Frank Reich, the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. That was the news that just broke within the hour. Reich heading to Carolina as the Panthers wait for the seventh overall pick. Potentially wait, I should say, Marlon Jackson. Certainly... Would there be a better victory for Frank Reich than taking this job and then leapfrogging the Colts in the draft <laughs> order with the draft night trade to steal so you, you said his he, quarterback? He may have some in- incentive. He might want some get back. <laughs> I would think the uh, the vote would be yes in yeah. terms of, hey, Frank, should we send two first-rounders to Houston or to Chicago to do this? Yes. Yes. It's crazy. This is the first domino to fall in the head coaching search. You have the other openings now sitting Denver, 
Arizona, Houston, Indianapolis. Marlon, do you see this necessarily triggering a domino effect, or will this be out on its own that that won't impede on these other searches? No, I don't think this first one will. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm not sure where where Frank fell on the list of candidates for other organizations. You know, I, I think that is essentially what what can cause a domino effect if there's somebody highly touted that everybody is after and that guy's gone and then there's maybe two or three to left that they really want, then that can cause an effect. So I don't think enough has happened yet. Fair. Yeah, so I, I think we, you know, maybe the next one or two, then some things may start to occur, but not enough yet. I've always thought Sean Payton was the kickstart to all of this. No team, Denver, Arizona, Houston, I think is going to take themselves willingly out of the Sean Payton sweepstakes until they have a firm answer about Sean Payton. And, and I, I feel Sean Payton is Denver or Arizona, you know, I, I, and leaning more towards Denver. I don't have any specific information, but it just seems like that circumstance with that organization, with that player – Let's ride, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to do it. No, no. <laughs> I just had to do it. You can but, do it all but, off season but with, long. With, with 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 that individual <laughs> who needs a reset, right? And he needs a quarterback whisper to come in and Badly. and to get him right because the Broncos are on the hook for that enormous contract, boatload of money that he's been paid. So he's not going anywhere, and. Their, their circumstances is a situation where experience may matter the most. Like, yeah, you might have a vision, but what's your experience yeah. with Nathaniel with, Hackett had a vision. Right, we saw right. how that worked. Russell and, and he, he had throw as many uh, touchdowns as, as uh, bathrooms he has in his house. They were talking about too. I think <laughs> Parker had to bring that one up. I had to. It was a funny thing I saw with the, the, you know Pat and the guys were talking. So about he just it. he just struggling. Period. Right. Well, bathrooms. A few too over. many. Didn't think about that when you were designing the house. But, you know, with, with all of that being said, they have to land Sean Payton. You know, I would say that it is of the utmost importance for them to hire Sean Payton for the for the fan base of the Denver Broncos to, to build some confidence and to say, hey, mm-hmm. we're really trying to get things right. And and for Russell Wilson to start to rebuild and regain his confidence because of the history that Sean Payton has with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Drew Brees. Um, so with all of that factoring in, Sean Payton, Denver Broncos. It sounds there's a ring to it, right? And the longer this doesn't happen, the more I'm. I, I I'm feeling that Sean Payton's going to say, "Hey, I I looked around and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait one more year. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. wait out Brandon Staley. I'm going to wait out Mike McCarthy. I almost got there this year. Ball bounces another way. Maybe if the Cowboys are routed by the Niners, maybe it's a different conversation. Clearly, because I was surprised. Are you surprised L.A. has decided not to make a change? I, was, <laughs> I mean, we, we were we were on the same wavelength right there. Where are you that, on that? that? That's what I was thinking about with how that season finished for the L.A. Chargers and some of the issues with the management of the rosters roster throughout the season. That was one area where I was surprised that I already fired the offensive coordinator. So that was the fall guy. 
<laughs> not, not just the fall guy there. But if you, you have to imagine if things don't go well there next season, there will be a change. And that is a loaded roster. Yeah, need to talent, win a playoff game. Talent Gotta win a playoff offensively, game. defensively, a ton of talent just waiting for the right leadership prime. to take them to the next level. They have all the pieces. Is it dismissing the head coach? For those reasons, will Sean Payton opt to tell Denver? Because I agree with you. Denver is the spot right now. He hasn't talked to the Colts. Houston is way too much of a rebuilding That's project. That's a project. Arizona might be worse off than Denver because of what they we've got learned cultural about. cultural issues. Kyler Murray is, <laughs> look, cultural issues. I don't know how big of a fan anyone uh, inside that building is of Kyler Murray from what we've read. Frank Reich, again, the news today, going to Carolina to take over the head coaching gig of the Panthers. Charlie Clifford, Marlon Jackson, Parker's here. Nine straight AFC title games for a assistant coach on Kansas City, Marlon, by the name of Brendan Daly. On Sunday, the linebackers coach will break Belichick and Brady's streak of eight consecutive AFC title games, which wow. was, uh, you know, let me get the year on that for you, 2011 to 2018. Brendan Daly's been in every AFC title game since 2014, five years with the Patriots, now four in Kansas City. That is amazing. <laughs> Literally, all he, all he does is win. That's it. <laughs> That's all he does is win. That is a phenomenal streak and – yeah, just to be able to say that, to tout that, to have that on your resume is mind-boggling. Nine straight. Nine times, Ferris. Nine times. We didn't get to it. Embiid faced uh, Ben Simmons for the first time. Sixers won. It was the best regular season crowd you'll get in the NBA. 45 fouls, seven technicals. It was eight, 583 days. And that was in Philadelphia. In Philly. So you know those that fan base there. Woo! I know that they let Ben Simmons have it, and and obviously he wasn't trying to hear it because he got physical. All the the mental, emotional yes. things that he's been carrying, and there was a there's a lot of baggage between him and that organization and the fan base. We need more of that in every league for Marlon Jackson, Charlie Clifford, and Parker. JMV's in next with the ride. Frank Reich's going to Carolina. Purdue's trying to get to 20-1 and one on the season. And IU suddenly can't lose. Those stories are next. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.